0: forever
1: dog
0: I used to think that this was my
1: town what a stupid thing to think Now he you're biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man Just want you in
2: my arms again, and we can each other's dreams. what's up everybody what's up uh three swings listeners three B's I forgot the call sign what's up uh athletic gerbils what's up diamond dogs switching it up changing the lineup how is everybody thanks for listening last week <laughs> I got some reactions from a few folks which I gotta say is pretty nice um if you uh if you have been interested in reaching out to me to say something, whether it's something I could do better or something that you liked the way that I did, um, please feel free to do that. I I will honestly say that honest, caring, uh, open engagement, um, specifically privately, is uh, very kind. Um, it's it's nice to uh, you know all the the public conversation is also. Obviously, welcome in, a, in, 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 um, in platforms because that's what they're designed for. But I will just say that, like, having conversations with people who like to listen to this show or like me from other things or are just fan, whatever you want to call it, uh, having open, honest conversation with folks is a really great thing. And I want to say how much I appreciate it when people reach out. And, uh, I, you know, I can't always respond to everything, not because I'm too busy, but just because I, um, can't always respond, uh, in, in a, in a long super form way, but I appreciate, uh, everything that everyone has ever shared with me. Um, <clears throat> I've gotten, you know, like letters and gifts and handshakes and stories and, I just cannot tell you how much it means to me. And I think in this moment, this was not planned, and I never plan anything that I'm going to say at the top of a show. Um, In this moment, I'm realizing how much all of that from leading up to this moment, I'm realizing how much your support has gotten me through. um, Has gotten me through. I mean, I, I guess I could just leave it at that. Um, you know, the future is uncertain of standup. The future is uncertain of like my standup. Um, everything is, un- the, the future is uncertain. And you know, what I realize in my life is that the future is always uncertain, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and it's, it's been, it's been a blessing to realize that even more right now. But, um, I think that the thing that has sort of buoyed me and helped carry me through this, one of the things is the support that I've gotten over the years. And that, that, um, that my work has meant something to someone. Um, if it has even meant something to one person, it's a success. And so I really appreciate that. And, um, it's honestly humbling to really think about it. The stacks of letters that I read every single one. Um, and the, you know, I have a little pennant that somebody made for me. I got a slide whistle. Once I have pins that people have given me, um, little stuffed animals, figurines. Somebody gave me a Dottie Cam check uh, uh, starting lineup in Austin, Texas. That's in my kitchen. Um, I just, you know, I have, like, love all over my apartment and in my life. And um, I hope that I can reflect that back to you. I hope that I can share that with you. And I hope that that's something that, um, you know, I-, I-, I hope that you feel seen and loved by giving that love. Um, it it, I, I, it is it is reciprocal um it might not be a direct exchange, but I really appreciate it and uh, I can't I, I, there's there's no there's no stand-up comedy without an audience and there's no like career without like fans and um i I have had that. I have had that I continue to have it. Um, and I am so grateful for it because I wouldn't have gotten to do any of this if people didn't like it, <laughs> if it didn't, if it didn't mean anything to anybody. Um, and that has like, that has meant so much to me. I can't, I can't really, like, put it into any other words than that. But that I'm, I'm just very grateful, and um, I, I hope that I have returned the favor and that I can keep doing that. Um, that being said, thank you so much for listening to the show and continuing to listen to it. Um, because you keep listening, we don't have any ads today. No, that's not the reason, but just lucky you, there's no ads. Um, and so I did, there isn't a guest on this show and I'm really excited about it. Um, Evan Davis, who I know from MLB network, um, and baseball, I saw him on there, um, a while ago, three years, you'll find that out in the interview. Uh, and he is the main reason why I felt like my voice was uh, worthwhile in, in, in uh, sports and in baseball. Um, so uh, all the gratitude to him as well. And we get into that, so I don't need to get into it too much up here, but I'm just really glad to have him. We do have an hour and 35 minute conversation. So I feel like telling you up top that that is how long it is. So I will try to keep it brief right now. Um, I'm going to give you the rundown of the two two major stories this week um, and a reaction to a, a Ken Griffey Jr. video that I stumbled upon because of Evan. And we talked so much about our, our other subjects, we didn't even get into this one. So hopefully we'll be able to have him back um, soon and we can discuss the Ken Griffey Jr. video that I'll get into. Um, but I do just want to say, so I don't really prepare a lot of notes for interviews. And I think even if I did, I would still be off book and I would still be in conversation. Um, because that's kind of the whole point of what I'm trying to do. Um, so I don't know that, that there's any way to prevent, you know, saying things and then thinking I could have thought said that a lot better. So there's one thing, you know, I recorded this interview with Evan and then I, you know, I took a break because it's very hot in my house. Um, so I had to wait for my underwear to dry off, uh, which is gross, but also true. Um, and then I cleaned out my fridge and I was thinking about one of the things that I said in, in the conversation with Evan. And uh, it is in regards to, you know, uh, trying to to sort of pay kindness backward. You know, we we talk a lot about like paying it forward, but what I really think for me at least um is the practice is just is number one just paying it, you know. Um and really it's not about paying, it's it's more about like sort of giving. Um and and I talked to and it's more about like giving it sort of behind or backward or whatever. And at least that's the concept that I was discussing with Evan and I was basically saying, like, I'm trying to practice some kindness towards this person. And that doesn't mean an overt thing, but I get into it. So I don't need to get into it now. The main thing that I just want to adjust before you hear it is that I said, you know, I, there were white people ahead of me that, you know, ta- that basically taught me, instructed me or showed me or called me on things. Um, and so then I got to practice kindness towards the people who I think are, you know, in the same position that I used to be and what i would like to say and amend to that is that the reality is it's not only white people i was thinking of one literally one instance and also white supremacy was probably active in my brain when that came out um and you know my the, the white supremacy wanting me to not you know using the 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 idea of like the concept of oh my black friend um and my discomfort with trying to find what the realism of my experience is. So in just spending a little time cleaning out my refrigerator and sort of meditating on the things that I said in the interview, I realized that the more accurate depiction of what I was trying to say is not just the white people in my life, the people in my life, Um, that it has been white people who have called me on my shit. It's also been people of color. It's been, black people in my life who have called me on my shit. It has been black people in my life who have been kind to me when I've probably been doing things that maybe potentially upset them or hurt them or weren't great. Um, and whether or not they did, you know, it's just like it, it is a community of people. It takes a village to raise each other. And so I just wanted to call myself on, the specificity of saying like, Oh, white people are helping me. And like, it is not only white people that are helping me. So, um, I just, I just want to balance that out, you know, and just say that like, um, it is not black people's job to teach me. However, I have been taught by black people. And so I am grateful for that. Whether it's leaders, people that I'll never meet people that I just have been, uh, blessed to, to witness their, willingness to teach people via social media or, you know, leadership, whatever it is. Um, and so I just don't want to be myopic in that moment. Um, and so I appreciate your understanding and, um, you know, hope that you can understand and potentially forgive me if, if, if it felt, um, offensive or harmful or hurtful, uh, because this whole show period is about, confronting that and understanding it. And then this episode specifically is exactly about that. So happy to see where I'm potentially lacking, uh, potentially falling short, potentially creating harm and just want to call myself on that and say like, Hey, not, 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 not where I need to be, not what needs to be said, potentially need to change my language there. So appreciate everybody's patience and uh, support. So, um, to get into the notes, which I'll, I will keep them short because Evan and I do really talk at length about both of these issues. Um, number one, Tom Brenneman's homophobic slur and suspension. And the source on this is the athletic, uh, during the first game of Wednesday's doubleheader between the Reds and the Royals in Kansas city, Reds Tom, <laughs> Reds broadcaster, Reds Tomcaster. <laughs> Tom Brenneman was caught coming out of a break using a homophobic slur. He could clearly be heard saying one of the F capitals of the world. It was later confirmed to me by Twitter that he was most likely referring to San Francisco. Uh, In the top of the fifth inning of the second game of the doubleheader as hashtag FireTom trended nationally on Twitter, Brenneman was pulled from the broadcast. He apologized on air and handed over play-by-play duties to Jim Day. I will say, if you have not seen the on-air apology with the Nick Castellanos home run call in the middle of it, um, it is a pretty interesting, to say the least, bit of television um, don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. Uh, don't really have like a... I, it's it's hard to find words to really describe it, so it's kind of one of those things that you just got to see. Um, when you watch somebody in real time begin to comprehend what they've done and also what's happened and what might happen to them, um, pretty powerful stuff. The only thing I can really compare it to is that uh, one time I was in New York in Brooklyn and I went to like the only place that happened to be open which is weird um was like a bar and grill to like eat and I asked them if they had any non-alcoholic beer because I was still at that time drinking non-alcoholic beer and I asked that and this woman looked at me into my face and was like non-alcoholic beer you know what me and my uncle used to call that queer beer And she realized as the words were coming out of her mouth, what she was saying and who she was saying it to. And I've told this as a joke for a long time. And it's never, it's kind of worked. I've never really found, I've never really found the power of it. Um, Because I literally did not see that person again. Like she, she did not come back out of the back. Like she was afraid, which is wild, you know? Um, Because like, who knows if I would have been in a good place to be able to actually like accept an apology from her. If it happened today, I, w- I would tr- hope that I would be able to, but that that's, what's interesting to me about that is like that she ran away, you know, and, and I've had this experience and I don't know that I can necessarily recall, um, an experience where I have been the person that something has come out of my mouth. I mean, I can, you know, I can recall that. And it was actually, the last time that I ever used this word that he used, um, that I ever used it in a flippant way. Um, and I was an out person. I was at, uh, I was hanging out with a bunch of people, my improv group. And I jokingly said it to some of the straight guys in the group. And there's one of the guys in my group was a gay man. And he looked at me like, what is wrong with you? And I just, nobody had before. And I didn't, I, 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 my own internalized homophobia was so strong and I, I didn't think I had it and I thought I was above it. And I thought I was, I didn't, you know, like, Oh, you know, whatever. And I'm so grateful to that person because I know people like queer people who use these words and yes, there's like reclaiming them and stuff. And But then there's also the people that I know that say, like, well, I'm I'm queer, so I can say it. And, like, for me, I guess I just have learned in my life, like, well, why do I want to say it? Why do I want to say these things, you know? We live in a culture now where, like, it used to be, when, before, like, queerness and uh, gayness, like, any of it was even remotely mainstream. And, like, the amount that it has mainstreamed in since, let's say, 1997... Um, and that date is specific for a reason. When the first like out gay character was on TV, came out on TV, came out in real life. And that is like a a big flashpoint of like, this is an active current in real time present representation of an out gay person. Um, and that was the beginning of mainstreaming of the culture. Uh, we, there used to be something called in-group, out-group. And so we don't even, I don't think with the internet and social media that in-group and out-group even exist anymore. It's not even a thing you can really consider because there's no in-group and out-group. Anybody can be in your group on the internet. Like I can't. I can't tweet at only my queer followers and say something that they know it's okay for me to say. So anyway, to, to bring that up and just say, there's no world where the things that are coming out of my mouth, it's the same as Tom Brenneman. It's, it's the same where like, I cannot control who hears it. So I can only control what I'm saying. And, and I'm referencing, not like using slurs. I'm referencing, even taking these words back and using them um, that like, there's a reach and somebody doesn't know that I'm gay and I'm using these words and somebody doesn't know that I'm queer and I'm using these words. It, it could still hurt, you know? Um, cause they don't know me. I'm just like words on a page. So for me, this guy is, it's a reckoning of that, you know, of like he, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, an interesting and rare form of privilege to not realize you're broadcasting. You know what I mean? Like, I just, it's a pretty wild experience. And it was wild to watch this sort of unfurl in real time. Um, And so uh Brenneman's TV partner, Chris Welsh, who was in his 28th year as the team's TV analyst, responded, you're a good man, partner, hang in there. Uh Welsh apologized last year after he said the Atlanta team's Ozzy Albee's quote may not know the difference between 35 million and 85 million because Albee's is from Caraco. Um, I'm pronouncing that probably wrong and I apologize. Um, <clears throat> Brennan then said, I don't know where at this point that I could go besides just continuing to express my regret and my sorrow for what I said. Brennan told The Athletic in an interview before the announcement of the suspension. Um, he was suspended for, he's been suspended for two weeks. Um, although he didn't specifically apologize to the LGBTQ community on air when asked later if he understood why what he said was offensive, he replied, of course, uh, I'm not that person. That's not who Tom Brenneman is. And I know that there are a lot of people out there that might roll their eyes, feel that the guy said it, that's gotta be who he is. And for those people, I'm not sure there's anything else I can say besides I'm just so very, very sorry. Brenneman said, I would say, Um, that this sounds to me that this is the first person who's not a first person. This is the, this is a person who is in the beginning stages of confronting something about himself that he didn't understand and still kind of doesn't. And like, that's what happens. Um, Evan and I really get in, into this. Uh, so I really don't want to take up too much of your time with it, but I do think that, um, you know, there's, there's a line in his apology where he says something about like, I've never been homophobic. I'm not homophobic. And like, and I say this in the interview, but that, that y- you are, and that is the thing that you have to reckon with. And, and the reality is that, you know, it's, it's like, it's like with any of these sort of social justice, cultural justice, racial justice, uh, gender justice, all of it. Um, w- You know, the first instinct is to say I'm not homophobic, I'm not transphobic, I'm not a racist, and that to say someone's behavior is those things is tantamount to saying a slur. And, like, my hope is that this begins—this is one of many experiences, um, unfortunately—that begins to to break that into pieces and to understand, oh— that is what homophobia is. And sometimes it's so insidious, it convinces you that you aren't. (laughs) And you have to actually admit that you are before you can change it. And um, that is why I included that personal story of myself that like, that I, that is what internalized homophobia can do. And the thing is like internalized homophobia affects us all. And if you don't, if you aren't in a a regular practice of, you know, sort of being around anybody who doesn't act and look and think like you, um, because the reality is Tom Brenneman sits in the booth of a stadium that has gay people in it. Are there tons of gay people in it? No. But are there gay people listening? Are there queer people listening? Are there trans people listening? Absolutely. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but we can get so isolated in our own experiences that we convince ourselves that we know everything and we know what, even what we don't know, that there is nothing that I can't know. Um, and that's like, you know, I I think, you know, he says there's nothing else he can say besides he's just so very sorry. And so he does seem to express sorrow and regret for saying those things. And he seems to me to be on a path This is not me saying, like, what a hero. It's just me saying, like, that seems to be where he's at. And for me, it's pretty wild that someone who is seemingly incredibly conservative and incredibly right-wing would even be willing to do this. And, like, yes, is that bar set pretty low? Absolutely. But this is how low the bar is for everybody. Like, I have to give everybody a chance. And I know that sounds bad. But if... If I make a mistake, I hope that somebody gives me a chance. Because people have. People have given me a chance. And so I have to be willing to do that. I, I'm not asking you to. I'm not saying you have to. I am simply saying that I've got to be willing. You know? I've got to be willing to give this guy a chance to do the work that he's saying he's going to do. Um, and I think it's incredibly important that he's going to a group like Flag. Um, and not expecting queer people to do the work to step up and tell him what he did wrong and how he can be better and be his friends. Um, Like, Brenneman was asked if he had anything specifically to say to the LGBTQ people in particular. Uh, Quote, I have never in my life, not for one second of my life, have I been homophobic, have I been racist, have I been any of those words that are terrible, terrible words. And so that phrase to me is that 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 sentence to me is is a person who is reckoning with discomfort and is still hung up on words, you know, and does not understand the power of them and i would say that he's he's in denial of the fact that he has probably been both of those things and i say probably because this wasn't a racist remark so i, I don't have any proof of that um and i don't want to make assumptions however uh as white people in America, we have all been racist and always have the potential to be, um, whether it's in our words or our actions or our thoughts. So it's a constant practice. Um, but here's, here's where the denial comes in and here's where the, the misunderstanding and where if he actually does the work, he might be able to see, Oh yes, I actually was homophobic because saying, saying what I said and and on top of that, the way that I said it, um, was homophobic. Now in admitting that I'm homophobic, what can I do? You know, that's, that's what you have to do. Like that's the work. Um, and I'm not holding his feet to the fire and I'm not, you know, I, I don't know what to do other than talk about it and discuss it, you know, because, um, it's just, it's not, I wouldn't go so far to say is this guy is lying because there's an acronym for denial, which is didn't even know I was lying. W- no, I am lying. Um, and the no is kind of spelled incorrectly, but whatever. Um, to me, this is a person who's in denial. He just doesn't, he can't even grasp that, that those two things go together. Um, because like he's saying he's never been in any of those words, you know? And so he's not actually making the connection that the words are people and the people are words. Um, and so then he 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 tell, told the athletic, and I would stand next to any LGBT person in the world and lock arm in arm with them, that they all have the same rights as every other person born on God's green earth, which you know sounds all fine and good. Um, but like, I think you got to spend a little time with that first sentence and the end statement and the fact that it. It doesn't actually make any sense. Um, and you kind of got to really look at it and go, huh, I actually literally was homophobic for a second. So, um, where else have I been homophobic? And, um, perhaps LGBT people all over the world are not ready to lock arms with you. And perhaps it's just some time for reflection, you know? Um, Many have noted that it's impossible to buy Brenneman's claims of allyship because of how cavalierly and casually the slur was used. And at Evan Davis Sports on Twitter, who will be on the show soon, cast further doubt on these claims by noting that Brenneman's broadcaster father, father Marty Brenneman, once described the president of Marshall University as, quote, queer for softball, which to me is. Um, I don't, I personally don't think that Tom Brenneman is responsible for his father, but I, I do think there's uh, a a way to look at it where we realize that, um, Tom Brenneman comes, comes by some of this honestly was clearly raised by someone who's, uh, misogynist and homophobic in his words. Um, because that's what it really gets down to. Homophobia is rooted in misogyny. Um, and so if somebody would say that pretty publicly, uh, and, and be known for that quote, um, you know, you, you come by it honestly. And so you get to take responsibility for your own experiences, um, and, and, you know, make those changes for yourself. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I am trying to take him at his word and there are some words that I'm parsing out and saying, well, this doesn't really make any sense. Um, and, and that's okay. I do think it's important to, to take a moment and take a beat and let things play out. Um, he's suspended. I don't know if firing him is like the right call. More will be revealed. I don't have control over that. And I don't even know. I will say that I'm glad that he's not on the broadcast today. So that's positive. I think he needs to take a moment and probably spend time with people more than just Billy Bean. Um, and we'll get into that. So I don't, I'm going to say that 50 times before this, before we get into the interview. Um, but one Reds fan isn't buying Brenneman's apology as Sydney Price. Price, who goes by the Twitter handle at transredsfan uh, is a closing shift manager at Hardee's in Miami, Miamisburg, Ohio and was working while the Reds were playing in Kansas City. But during a lull in service, she checked Twitter to see how the Reds were doing. She instead saw the Fire Tom hashtag. Then she saw the video. This isn't the first time I haven't felt welcome as a fan as an LGBT fan, Price said. While the Reds have had Pride-themed games in recent years, Price said she hasn't heard of them advertised on the radio or TV broadcasts as much as other themed events, that she learned of them only through word of mouth. For many LGBTQ baseball fans, it can feel like a token gesture when a team doesn't celebrate it like it will other communities. I mean, I can't really add much more to that. I, I too agree like the Pride night there's special packages that I didn't even know about to get the shirt like they advertise these shirts and giveaways, but you have to buy special stuff. Um, not all the teams participate in them not all the teams advertise them. Um, I think I, my hope is that this incident and and everything that's sort of happening after it and um, the 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 outpouring of support which, <laughs> Honestly, it's been only two players, but um, the fact that I I just cannot get over the fact that Amir Garrett was in a game, not on his phone, got out of the game, caught up on what happened and said what he said about the incident. Um, I just think, and, and I am not trying to, I mean, I just, everybody gets to have their feelings. Everybody gets to feel the way that they feel about it. Um, But I, I am just very grateful to be a baseball fan at a time when we are openly talking about, hey, you're doing LGBTQ nights and you don't seem to care. And also something like this happens. Someone says some deplorable, vile, disgusting stuff on air when they think nobody's listening. Because let's be honest, people who live in a privileged culture and elite culture that is far removed from all of us think they can get away with anything. So they do. And they say things off air. They say it out of the side of their mouth or they say it, you know, um, to live at that time. And then to also, to also see Amir Garrett come out of a game, get on his phone and say this to the LGBTQ community, just know I am with you and whoever is against you is against me I'm sorry for what was said today. That did not go through a PR machine. That did not go through MLB. That did not go through a manager. That didn't go through anything except for that man's heart. And I just am so grateful to live at a time when somebody says that. When Amir Garrett says that. He picks up his phone and and believes that's important. And he names us and he doesn't name what was said and he doesn't name who said it he just talks to us and that to me means that we matter and it might just be to one guy but that is important just like i said at the top of this show if what i'm doing matters to one person it's important and that's all we can hope for so i hope i hope my hope my my hope is that despite everything that this experience has taught even just one person like, Hey man, maybe take that out of your vocabulary. Maybe think about what you're saying. Maybe consider it because I guarantee you it has. And I know that that doesn't feel fair and it doesn't feel equal, but it does equal hope that if someone sees Amir Garrett and, and, and is inspired by him to act differently today, it's incredibly important. Uh, Matt Bowman also said, LGBTQ plus community, as a member of the Reds organization, I am so sorry for the way you were marginalized tonight. There will always be a place for you in the baseball community, and we are so happy to have you here. I think it's incredibly important for people to say this. It's incredibly important because we can't, this is what people mean when they say hate cannot divide us. It is everyone's experience is important and solidarity is more important to me than unity. We have to understand each other and be willing to listen and be willing to accept and stand up for each other when these things happen. Um, And, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what more to add to that other than uh, we. these things are changing and they don't change overnight. And and nothing changes if everything is set off air and nobody hears it. And the only people that hear it are the people that agree with it. So I'm trying to look towards the people, t- towards Aaron Dolan and Sean Doolittle for their continued, consistent, Outreach and work and support of the LGBTQ community and fans and uh, representation and kindness in the game and the fact that people are saying that that we des- we we are welcome is important. Um, do we feel welcome by the entity that is the MLB? I would say no, but I don't really like that entity, so I don't really want to be welcomed. I, it's I I'm I I could care less about MLB making it so. That I I am welcome because I don't know that that's ever gonna jive. but to me it's important to know that there are players who who don't participate in this like hyper masculinized toxic behavior because I think it's important, you know it's important because this is what <laughs> this is what Black Lives Matter stands for. Black Lives Matter stands for Black queer Lives. It stands for Black trans Lives it stands for the most marginalized people. And so I believe that black lives matter. And so I don't think this is okay. And I also hope that people can do the work to see where they are in denial. You know, white supremacy keeps us in denial. It keeps us in lack mentality. It keeps us in perfectionism. And it keeps us from questioning why we do the things we do. And so my hope is that Tom Brenneman does do the does question that. Does do the work. Goes and talks to the uh, parents and friends and family of lesbians and gays. Instead of putting the onus on queer people to fix it or to educate. Put it on the people who also had to do the work. So that's what I'm taking from this. Um, Wednesday night was another reminder of that for Price and others when a representative of the organization used such a hateful word in such a cavalier and comfortable way. And I truly think if he means what he says, he will hopefully investigate this. And I don't know what's on the other side. I truly do not know what's on the other side. But I will say some good has come out of it. Um, I'm I'm going to follow Trans Reds fan right after this. Maybe she'll come on the show and we can have a conversation. Who knows? Um, and we'll post the full public apology in the Cincinnati Inquirer um, for the notes. And I'm going to really just like go through this pretty quickly because I already said I was going to keep it quick and this is 35 minutes. So uh just want to run down real quick. The Fernando Tatis Jr. Grand Slam and MLB's unwritten rules. I would argue that this kind of language that we were just discussing is also sort of in the unwritten rules of the world. Um, the athletic and ESPN provide the source material uh, in the eighth inning of Monday night's game between the Padres and the Rangers, the Padres star shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. Son of, Two grand slams and one inning hitting. Fernando Tatis Sr. was sitting on a 3 0 count with the bases loaded and the Padres up 10 to 3. Rangers reliever Juan Nicasio threw a lazy fastball low and just off the plate, and Tatis honestly lazily belted it for an opposite field grand slam. I mean, it was a gorgeous home run. Tatis leads Major League Baseball in home runs, RBI runs scored, and stolen bases entering Wednesday and is becoming one of the sport's most entertaining players. And if you've been watching baseball, you've been waiting for this moment for the past two seasons. But his eighth inning grand slam clearly angered the Rangers because Nicasio was immediately replaced by Ian Gabot, a pitcher with only 24 career innings in the majors who threw the next pitch behind Manny Machado's head. After the game, Tatis's Grand Slam was met by direct criticism from Rangers manager Chris Woodward, who said, I didn't like it personally. I don't think we liked it as a group. Uh, personally, that means your personal feelings. Padres manager Jace Tingler didn't defend Tatis and, and instead claimed that he missed a take sign before the 3-0 pitch. Gotta say, this is probably my biggest complaint with the whole thing with the exception of maybe Eric Hosmer taking the side of the Rangers as well. Um, a manager throwing his player under the bus for something that is not like violence, abuse, or like awful language. I, I is, 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 I don't want to go so far as to say unforgivable, but I, 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 oof. I mean, I just, the, that is just something I can't, A manager throwing their player under the bus like that is just, is awful. It's just, it's, it's so, it's heartbreaking, honestly. It's heartbreaking. Uh, Even Tatis felt compelled to walk back the swing, saying after the game, I've been in this game since I was a kid. I would say since he was born. I know a lot of unwritten rules. I was kind of lost on this. Those experiences you have to learn. Probably next time I'll take a pitch. So what's this all about, and why was Tatis not celebrated for hitting a Grand Slam? It all has to do with baseball's so-called unwritten rules, uh, some of which are not running up the score, not flipping the bat after home runs, ETC, uh, (laughs) etc., which supporters argue maintain baseball's tradition as, quote, a gentleman's game. However, critics of the unwritten rules point out that they're not only old-fashioned and boring, but carry with them disturbing racial connotations accusations of quote, not playing the game the right way are almost always exclusively levied at players of color. And in particular Latino players who come to the MLB from the Caribbean and Central American baseball circuit. Tatis is Dominican and another Dominican player, Juan Soto nationals outfielder, and one of the stars of last year's world series run was involved in a similar incident on in in Monday's game between the nationals and Atlanta Soto clubbed a 445 foot ninth inning home run off Atlanta reliever Will Smith to give the nationals a six, three lead at the time. Atlanta would rally to win in the bottom of the ninth, which again, also just to tack onto the tattoos, I believe the Phillies and the blue Jays were playing and the blue Jays were up by, by eight. And then they ended up losing the game. So to say, don't tack on runs, it can never be too much. Um, soto admired his home run for a second or two and smith then barked an expletive at soto which only led to an even slower trot around the bases after the game nationals manager dave martinez defended his young superstar will smith said something to soto that i didn't really appreciate martinez said so i just want to let him know hey it wasn't juan who threw the ball his job is to hit so just be quiet and get on the mound you threw the pitch make a better pitch Reminds me of Kenley Jansen, which we'll talk about. Martinez's comments were echoed across social media and sports media the following day, with many MLB players and pundits calling for an end to the unwritten rules. Hall of Famer Reggie Jackson said on Twitter, Fernando Tatis, keep playing hard and playing great. It's a pleasure to watch you play. Love your success and the Padres rise to be a winner. Keep leading the way. It ain't easy to hit home runs. Keep bringing energy you have to the game. We need players like you, an all-star. Former big league pitcher Ron Darling, now an analyst for the Mets and MLB Network, addressed the trouble with the unwritten rules on MLB Network and defended Ted Tease. I'm old enough that I grew up in a game that a lot of older guys had all the power and they would tell you how to act, what to do, and you did what they told you to do because that's how it was. He said, unwritten rules only work if everyone knows the unwritten rules. By their very definition, nobody knows an unwritten rule. So what you have now is you're just trying to make a decision that a 3-0 count in a seven-run game is off limits. I'm just not with that at all. I kind of can't really put it any better than that. And that also is a succinct definition of white supremacy, (laughs) that it's all unwritten rules, you know? And then the the laws themselves have unwritten laws all surrounding them. Um, And even Rangers manager Chris Woodward adopted a different tone the day after the game. I've thought about a lot of the gray area in the game when it comes to the unwritten rules. This, the line is one place for one person and one place for the other. Huh? What does that sound like? (laughs) Racism, criminal justice, homophobia, just because I was upset about it. Doesn't mean that I was right. Doesn't mean that it's wrong that he swung. I'm always willing and open to listen to discussion. Did it cross the line? In my opinion? Yes. Yes. But maybe that's because I'm scarred from the years I've been in the game and what I've heard and witnessed from people in the past. That doesn't mean I'm right, though. That doesn't mean that he was wrong to swing 3-0. Maybe that's the new norm, and maybe that's okay. I mean, I couldn't put it any better than that. And I didn't know before I went into this uh, recording that he said this, and I'm pretty glad that he did because he pretty much owns up to his feelings on that one. Um, and I, I, I gotta say, it's pretty good. And I'm glad that Twitter was almost unanimous in their support of Tatis. And, uh, you know, what are we talking about here? This is professional sports. You, you want to put a tamper on the game? Like I, we have like sort of unwritten rules in my baseball league, where if you're beating a team by a ridiculous amount, you go station to station. That is a rec league with people that we know. And we're not this, we're not getting paid and it's not a stats based career system like it's ridiculous and also there are ways that that gets into one's head as well so anyway i just think you know you can you can draw a very quick line between unwritten rules and white supremacy and and uh criminal justice reforms changes that we need ab- abolishments that we need to make um you know it is Unwritten rules are what police use all the time, every day, every day. So do I want to be a cop or do I want to be Fernando Tatis Jr.? I want to be Fernando Tatis Jr. That's who I want to be. So, and as The Athletic noted, the unwritten rules stand in stark contrast to the MLB's Let the Kids Play promotion from last season, which highlighted cultural diversity and dynamic personalities within the sport. I got to say, that's pretty right on. And this is what we're getting at with Major League Baseball as an entity and the people within it. Um, They love PR stunts. They love promotions. But when it comes to the reality of the game, they don't really want to change it. I just read an article on The Athletic today that the numbers are up for TV viewing of women and people under 34 um, so young people and women, people they've been saying don't watch the game, are watching the the game. And there's hedging a lot of bets and a lot of people saying this doesn't really matter. But what if it did? What if it just did? What if we mattered to you? What if you cared about people who weren't old white Republican oil barons? What if you cared about other people who love the game? What if you cared about it? That's why I think Rob Manfred's one baseball is a really bad idea. And I'll probably talk about it next week. So the last thing that I want to end on is uh, Ken Griffey Jr. versus the Yankees, which is a clip that I came across on Twitter in this whole sort of maelstrom of the Tom Brenneman event. Um, And I saw it from Evan Davis's Twitter. And uh, it was something that I was unaware of. Um, And we're going to play it right here.
0: The other thing was, came up to visit my dad and it was just me and him and got to the ballpark early i'm sitting in the dugout and uh security guard comes over says hey george doesn't want anybody in the dugout but i was like what he my son so he goes all right hey go in my locker he goes but before you go look at third base it's craig nettle's son taking ground balls at third base And at that time, my dad was, you know, 38 years old. He like, I ain't fighting this no more. I got somebody a little younger, <laughs> and a little bit better. You know, there's certain things that a dad drills into you as a kid that just sticks with you. And that was one of them. I mean, what to beat the Yankees. Yeah.
2: So a pretty, uh, powerful video and a pretty, I mean, to me, first of all, King Griffey Jr. is just a class act. I, I loved him as a kid and I didn't, because I was a kid, I didn't really know. And you know, he played in Seattle, so I didn't get to see him play very much, but he was just always so cool you know, with his hat and, like, the kid and running up the wall and everything. And um, I just, you know, because baseball has this sort of, like, unwritten rule of, like, don't rock the clubhouse and don't, you know, don't be different and don't da da you know, he does have a little bit of that baseball in him, you know? Um, and I'm so grateful to have seen this because I had I had no idea this was even a thing. Um, and and not that I, I'm shocked, but I just mean this specific incident, um, that I just like, I watched that and was like, there it is, there it is. That's an unwritten rule right there. Um, because you could argue that the unwritten rules only apply to the, how the games played, but how is that not, how does, how, how do you turn that on and off? You don't, if you live your life with these sort of unwritten rules and talking out of the side of your mouth and, Oh, nobody can hear me. So I say this and that, the other thing, it's like, I don't know. I try to pretend like I'm always on a live mic. Does that mean I don't make mistakes? Does that mean I don't say things that people, uh, take umbrage with or are offended by or something like that? Absolutely not. Um, but that means that I listen when people call me on it. That means I listen. Um, and that means that I take the opportunity sometimes to call people on the things that they say. And then I watch myself when I start doing it, um, you know, as a hobby. (laughs) Um, but to get back to the Ken Griffey Jr. Statement, um, you know, he's a class act to, to keep it to himself, but also not lie, you know, to, when those kids ask him like, come play for the Yankees. And he's like, absolutely not. Uh, to just be honest you know is like a pretty powerful thing and and if baseball's going to do that to Ken Griffey Jr or Ken Griffey Sr it doesn't it it's not a a stretch of the imagination that they would do it to Fernando Tatís Jr like the 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 comparisons are clear as day to me um and i just wish that we didn't have to I, I wish that somebody like Ken Griffey Jr. didn't have to transcend that behavior. I wish that that wasn't what, what 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 maybe walked up to the box with him. I wish that wasn't a part of his story, but it is, you know? And so the only thing we can do is be Ken Griffey Jr. and not the Yankees, George Steinbrenner, you know? Um, sorry, Yankees fans. Um, that's all you can do. Um, but I think it's a pretty powerful video. It's a pretty powerful moment and it's um, pretty telling. And I think there's a lot of change that needs to come. And I hope that if major league baseball actually does support the black lives matter movement, they will spend some time with it and understand, and hopefully begin to understand that it's not just a statement. It's a daily active practice. Um, And you cannot simply say it and forget it. You cannot simply as Shakia said when she was on, just put BLM on the mound one day and then put FanDuel the next day. I mean, you can, but it doesn't... It's it's not... It's That's just saying words, which comes back to Tom Brenneman. Like, you are your actions, and your actions are words, so you're going to have to square these up. And we only get to do that for ourselves. So, I kept this short at 43 minutes. Um, we are so happy to have this next guest and we'll just cut right into the interview right here. You guys, I'm so excited for the guest on our show. He uh, has appeared on MLB Network, pundit on there, which is actually where I discovered him. You know, plucked him out of obscurity on <laughs> MLB Network. Uh, we are pals on Twitter. You may have seen us interacted. Uh, please help me welcome Evan Davis to the show. Thank you so much for being on the show, my friend.
1: Oh my God, This is so exciting <laughs> for me. Yeah, because we have we have such a we have such a long and like ships in the night kind of relationship. Yeah. You know, like when I was like a crappy open mic comedian in New York, like yeah. I got drunk with your ex-wife and sang karaoke <laughs> with her. And sure. then years later, totally independent of that, I was ranting about how you shouldn't crap on Joanna Cespedes for not legging out a fly ball when he's perpetually injured. Yeah. You saw that and you're like, who's that guy? He has actually yeah. talking some sense.
2: He's saying some things that need to be said. Yeah, that was exactly how I uh, came to know you was like in my era of uh, perpetually watching MLB Network and just having it on at my house all the time. And well, we yeah, you were- it. Sticking up for that. Yeah, of course, I was like just running that cash meter up for MLB Network. Well, honestly, you you probably
1: <laughs> accounted for 75% of their 18 to 34 demographic ratings.
2: <laughs> I'm sure that I did. And now I don't fit in that demo anymore. I'm in the, you know, over 34 demo. So yeah. I got it in just in time. But yeah, I really appreciated that at the time. And it, it, it gave me a lot of uh, like hope for, you know, the sport and just like commentary on it, you know, um, that like, anybody could have a different opinion <laughs> outside yeah, of like let's all pile how, on the
1: player you know I don't know how well we've done in the three years hence although the 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 backlash to the Tatis backlash this week I thought was actually very encouraging
2: yeah I I I agree and we we sort of covered it like I gave a rundown of yeah. it uh on the show and like uh I just think I mean, and that's what we're going to get into with the other thing, which we'll get into in just a second, but it's all, it's all related. It's all related where like, and just before we started, um, before we got on the phone together, there's this piece on the athletic um, that the MLB TV ratings, TV, not streaming uh, increase over the last season is led by uh, women and youth demos specifically in this pandemic. And so uh, while I, I know that there is a a huge like wall and a huge obstacle to like complete and perfect inclusion in this game. I do think you're right when the immediate conversation was not, yeah, Tatis shouldn't have swung on that thing. I mean, within the fan base that is on social media, which is kind of all we have right now because of the pandemic. And I, I see that as like a truly bright spot of like, who cares about that old stuff? You know, like,
1: it's totally. and, pretty and powerful. I think, what, what, I think what's the most, the biggest indicator for me was not that you, people like you and I and others like us would rant on Twitter about it. Cause we've been doing that for years. It's that Jace Tingler and Chris Woodward immediately felt pressure to walk back their comments and couch oh, yeah. them in different language. And that, Um, there were a couple of articles that were filled with quotes from current active players and coaches, retired players and coaches, all saying, let's just get rid of this. And that was not the case even five years ago, I don't think.
2: Oh yeah. That wasn't even the case last year, (laughs) you know, like normal conditions. I think this wouldn't have gone that way. And you're right to point that out. Like seeing, johnny bench tweeting about it it's like who, mm-hmm. who else are you gonna argue with you know like not that there's any one authority but i just mean right. to to see old dudes you know dudes, come yeah. out and, and say like look man and it reminds me of what um wow am i i'm completely uh, kenley jansen said three years ago two years ago who can remember but about bat flips <laughs> like you don't want to see a bat flip throw a good pitch and it's like yeah you don't want to see a grand slam in a 3-0 count down right. by seven don't right. throw a lazy fastball, you know, like, like throw yeah. a stri- an actual strike. And like, I, I also understand these like gentlemen's rules. And like, I, I do, I comprehend them, but I'm grateful that they're changing because unwritten rules are the things that keep progress from happening, you know, because so, it's, to- it's, it's who holds them, who wields them and who gets to keep them. And like the fact that Jace Tingler the manager of that player, regardless of whether he believes in that thing, like the fact that he would choose those unwritten rules over his own player, to me is like a detriment to the game, no matter what it is. And so yeah. regardless of how I feel about that rule, like it's just not, there's there's just no world where I think in-game, an in-game uh, performance that doesn't include violence, you know, or like threats or something like that, that a manager... Right. Or, does not stand by their player. Like that to me is a really, that is an unwritten rule, which is like a manager stands by their player no matter what, unless we're talking about, you know, violence or abuse or something like that.
1: Yeah. That was a huge red flag for me with Tingler's statement. And I'm really glad he said like, you know, I probably wouldn't put down a take sign for him on three O again um, for him to, to kind of like realize that it he the learning opportunity was for Tingler, not for, yeah, Tatis was, I think, a really a great moment of growth, and also um, when we talk about gentlemen's etiquette, I think, you know, when you you want to be nice to other people and not rub sure, sure. rub the, your, your, their noses in in your in your stuff, but um, there have been a few books written on the unwritten rules and kind of tracing the cultural history of them, and a lot of them maybe not taking a pitch on when you're up. You're in a 3 0 count when you're in the middle of a blowout, but other unwritten rules were put in place at a time in the game's history when, uh, if a pitcher gave up a home run or if somebody got beaned, that could have that could be their career, you know. Mm -hmm. It was before it was the time of the reserve clause, it was before players were unionized and other players looked out for each other, knowing that if your opponent was shown up or made to look silly or were injured at as a result of something you did, mm-hmm. that could, that could, that could mean the end of their, their time in the game. And so it wasn't really about gentlemanliness and duffing your cap. It was right. about making yeah. sure that you could get paid, you yeah. know, and it's, a, it's a reminder that, you know, when baseball players are left to their own devices for the most part, they want to make sure that they stand in solidarity with each other. And it's when, Kind of Victorian era notions (laughs) of 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 etiquette and and properness get pulled into uh, white supremacy and everything else. It all of a sudden becomes about showing another guy up and showing another team respect. Um, And so I'm you know I'm a I graduated from the University of Wisconsin with a master's degree in film history. My brain is always going toward how we view things through a historical lens, because for the most part, whatever you think is new or fresh or important has actually been litigated many, many times before for a century or more. And this is like such a great example of how the history has kind of gotten warped to suit the purposes of a very, very specific demographic of human being, who again, (laughs) is the top main topic of our conversation today.
2: Right. Absolutely. And I mean, that's the, what, what like is that
1: for the, a segue? That is expert I, broadcasting segue. Right I mean, there. I,
2: it's a, it's a brilliant segue and there's so many things <laughs> in there to like, just pull from, but I think honestly, like the fact that you mentioned, it became a learning experience for Tingler and not Tatis, you know, is like, to me, that's, that's uh, maybe not my only focus, but like w- what I'm trying to look towards, you know? So, so I'm really glad that we're talking about the Tatis situation, the, the grand slam situation. Um, because I think it's all related. You know, when you said like the totally. Victorian area gets conflated with white supremacy, what is the Victorian area era, if not white supremacy itself? Because, I would say that the if the the first gentleman's rule of unwritten rule of the major of Major League Baseball is don't hire black men, (laughs) you know, like it it was basically a handshake deal that they all sat down and said, we're not doing this right. And they agreed. And then it just didn't happen until it happened. You know,
1: (laughs) right. Well, it was originally a handshake agreement. Then a few black players got in and then Plessy versus versus Ferguson kind of gave them the cover to make it much more formal, even though it was never technically formalized. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So, there you go. That sort of groundwork. And what the 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 convo that uh you know, I DM'd you on Twitter to to have, uh but uh, again, it's like all related and you can intertwine all of it together is uh is the the incident with the Reds announcer, I've already Brenneman, Tom Brenneman. I already Tom like Brennan. put his last name out of my mind. Like I've only got space for Tom in there. Um so I feel <laughs> like at this point because I've given an intro to the incident at the beginning of the show, we can kind of just get into it. What was your, so my experience of this event, because that's really what it was, um, was that I just happened to be on Twitter, which is a problem. I'm on it a little too much. Uh, That when it was happening, like right at the time that that broadcast happened and somebody posted it. So I saw yeah. it free of the, of context in in regards of like, I saw it was the Reds. I saw it was the, it took me a moment to realize where they were playing. Like I had to pull yeah. all that information because the original video or one of the one that I saw was just posted with like, wow, or something like that. Or like he said it, you know, like I didn't even know what was going to be said. I didn't know who's. you know, I had no idea. Um, and I just watched it. And it took us like a minute for it to happen. So I was just watching, you know, an outfielder warming up and then, and then, oh, bang, there it is. And I had to listen to it a couple of times. And I've even in, in, because I don't really care to listen to it again. I've even like misquoted what he said, you know, to myself and to other, I think even to you on Twitter of like the, the actual quote, but the most important thing is that he said the F bomb, um, the, the, like the gay slur, um, yeah when he didn't think anybody but whoever it was that he was talking to was listening on, on, uh, air basically. So yeah. w- what was your experience? That was like my rundown of like the moment that it happened. And then we can get into the post event conversation.
1: <laughs> I, I, I essentially had the exact same experience you did. I was, um, Filling the the great gaping chasm of existence uh that we're all going through right now <laughs> sure. with social media, which is a, a horrible mistake. It's a and, terrible mistake
2: almost every time.
1: <laughs> um yeah, 98.4% of the time. <laughs> yeah, if I'm gonna yeah. be precise. Um but yeah, I think I saw the same click that you did just said, wow, he said it, and then seeing the initial screenshot of that it was a Reds broadcast, I'm like, what the hell is this? clicking on it and yeah and it's about 12 seconds of just dead air and if i had been sipping something when he said what he said i would have done a full spit take yeah because it's as unambiguous a use of that word for its true intent in the american context as you could possibly ask for sure Um, (laughs) it's
2: funny that you put american context on there and i know i know why you did
1: (laughs) yes right um (laughs) but there's there's absolutely no way you can explain away what he said how he mm-hmm. said it or what it meant when he did say it and i think what made it so shocking is in a way a bit of a positive development i would argue mm-hmm. because i you know we, you and i are i think roughly the same age we both grew up in america in the late 80s and into the 90s and even in the early aughts at a time when that word was much more common than it is now. Mm -hmm. It's never been any less uh, hurtful, damaging, violent, or evil at any point in history. But when we were younger, we just heard it a lot more, directed at us or just in the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm not going to speak to everybody's experience. Um, I know that that word still... Is more common than it should ever be and it's still a mm-hmm. tool of hate but in 2020 to be watching a live television broadcast and to hear it was like a very jarring moment like i to the point where like i didn't spit take but i definitely did like a double take to no one <laughs> i was like sure what? yeah
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i Are was like serious? in my bed and i was like wow and i mean i i by the way, so, that
1: clip went up at about six thirty p.m. Eastern time, so that would be about three thirty your time. If oh you yeah, were watching it in bed. Of course, <laughs> I was. Hashtag pandemic I, well, baby.
2: I'll tell you why, because it's the only room that has air conditioning in my house, and so uh, I've just been like living in my bed because we've been in a heat wave.
1: You guys are going through heat wave. That's right. Yeah, so um, it's like
2: the only place that's comfortable, and I've been in it for so long that it also is not really comfortable <laughs> anymore. But. Yeah, I mean, it I goes, will say it goes
1: back to being comfortable. It just feels like a security yeah, blanket.
2: You're just in yeah. a constant loop of comfort and discomfort, <laughs> which is the human condition <laughs> yeah. and this whole thing. And like, I mean, I think it's important what you brought up. And I, you know, I do think that the evolution of the use of that word has obviously changed Um, and my experience of it. So, I mean, I identify I, I am a white Caucasian uh queer person who was like you know raised female surrounded by boys um i don't know how you identify evan other than the external you know uh things about you so that's like your your thing to 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 uh give to everybody me, or
1: not this is not gonna be great for your list I'm just gonna give you a yeah. nice close up of this mustache and then I'll let I like you it. fill in the rest.
2: <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to fill I'm in anything. No
1: I I'm I'm I am a cisgendered bisexual white American male.
2: Great. Thanks for sharing that. I just think it's important because not like, it's very easy to like, people think I'm just a lesbian or whatever. It's like, and so, and that's also like, okay. The experience of that is also okay. But I think it's important to claim that when talking about these words, because ultimately, if I'm going to get into a theoretical conversation about it, technically that word does not apply to me. However, the, the word has, has been applied to me. Just like you which said, word? I'm you know? sorry, which word? The the F word. Oh yeah. That's right. You know, right. It's also something that like, and, and I think this is also really important too, that you said on Twitter is that like, is this guy's world? Um, I forget the exact wording that you use, but like, is this guy's world so detached and in this like masculinized, like talk. And it's like, yeah, that is actually the truth because yeah. I have, also lived in that world, you know, (laughs) that I I enter in and out of it, but like I was raised in it. I wanted into it because it felt like currency. Um, Mm -hmm. And that word is something that I do not defend the use of it. You know, I don't, but I do think that there's some understanding that is going to happen because of this, which is to me, the silver lining that like people do throw, this is not this situation because he did very knowingly use it to describe a place that he knew gay people were in. However, in baseball, sports, toxic, masculinized areas, like it's thrown about with abandon as though it means nothing. And I know that because people say that to me because they're like, no, 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 I don't mean you. I mean, dumb. And I'm like, but you're using a word that is used to describe me. And then you're saying, no, 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 not you. I mean, dumb. Like you are, just not lining it up yet, you know? And, like, I see what that guy is saying and in, in his attempts to apologize and take responsibility. It is the path towards making that connection potentially. And I think the important thing is, for me at least, as a baseball fan, to see the outpouring from the sport of this is unacceptable, essentially. Like, Amir Garrett's tweet is re- was really important to me as a baseball fan. It also helped me have even more respect and gratitude for what Sean Doolittle and for Aaron Dolan, what they have been doing for the past six years in Major League Baseball and outside of it. That like, that these things both exist. Like there is this old boys club where people, because that's the thing is like, if you're saying it when you think you're not going to get heard, you're saying it. You're saying it a lot. Like he was like, I've never been homophobic. And it's like, man, you're so close because you were, is the thing. And it's, it's the, it's the understanding and accepting that that is what you did do. Um, and maybe he'll see that. It seems like he's maybe moving towards it. I don't know. But, um, what are your thoughts on, on the, the, the varying steps of apologies that he's made?
1: Yeah. And as, and as
2: a a bisexual baseball fan, like, how does this affect you? Just like, I know you work in baseball, but like, as somebody you said, a thousand percent, Amir Garrett saying that, like, how do you feel about those, those reactions?
1: Well, first of all, I'm so excited that you and I are going to solve structural homophobia right here. Here we now. go. It's a big moment <laughs> for
2: podcast. It.
1: History of the World. Two white yeah. people
2: solving a problem.
1: <laughs> white millennial podcasts are the cure to <laughs> the ills of the world.
2: Yeah, they really um, are.
1: So, no, you bring up you bring up a lot that that needs to be unpacked and and first and foremost, Amir Garrett's statement was quite unequivocal and um Was very appreciated, I think, by me, and I'm sure by other queer uh, baseball fans. Um, And and it's been it was really interesting because Brendan released basically three statements in about a 24 hour period. First, the on air one where he called the Nick Castellanos (laughs) home run, which is (laughs) you know also can we just
2: get to to actual baseball and be like Nick Castellanos is having a hell of a year. I just love his like home run tour that he's having this year, which has been pretty fantastic.
1: Well, I'll I'll confess something. I'm not even paying attention to stats or records or anything this season um, <laughs> because they don't mean anything. <laughs> like, yeah. There's just no, um, uh, you know, park effects change from year to year and for like a 60-game season to only be played in like the late summer, early autumn means the way the park is affecting yep. the ball and the way the ball is changed is throwing a whole bunch of other things out of whack. Also, with um, each team only playing nine other teams, where in a normal season they'd be playing like 20 other teams or more, and you're only seeing like a very small handful of umps, which changes the pitcher-catcher-ump relationship relative to other seasons. Like most of the data uh, that just doesn't factor park effects well or factor in like the quality of your opponent
2: Mm -hmm. or –
1: can react to ump adjustments in real time and just aren't really going to be telling you much and so i can get really excited about fernando tatis stealing a bag or hitting a home run or whatever but like it's very hard for me to say that he really is having as mind melting of a season as oh sure the baseline did it would suggest and so and this i know this is a crazy tangent but like <sighs> baseball prospectus uh, Russell Carlton wrote a really great piece before the season started basically saying, like, you really have to look yourself in the mirror and consider the ethical implications of studying statistics of a baseball season where players who are on the field, mo- most of them aren't actually rich millionaires the way that it's always sold to us. Yep. And therefore, they had an – and because uh, the owners were able to bat away um, salary and service time for low-risk guys with high-risk family members to opt out – they were basically saying, like so many essential workers in America, it's your health or your paycheck. And that's not an honest choice um, for a player to make. And therefore, how do we really trust the data for all the other reasons I said stated above, but also knowing that they're kind of being forced to be there and the whole mental health implications of being in that environment, knowing that you could get sick at any moment in time especially when you saw what happened to the Marlins what happened to the Cardinals what almost happened to the Reds what might be happening to the Mets right now this is not also honest- the the
2: the mental health of what happened
1: with Cleveland <laughs> of yes. like play, uh, which
2: I didn't even follow all of it I, and I don't I don't mean to interrupt but I just like yes I ha- I also haven't I ha- I literally have not watched 9 innings of baseball this year for every for the reasons that you're saying That's why I just, I mean, I follow it on Twitter because I'm on Twitter. I can't help but see, you know, because my algorithm is like showing me all that stuff. And like, I I literally could not agree with you more. Like it just, it doesn't, you know, like I'm glad that Francisco Lindor is saying like, it's not just about you and it's not just about your neighbor. It's about your neighbor's neighbor. And it's like, yes, that's why you guys shouldn't be here. (laughs) Shouldn't have to be here. You know, like, like it's a bigger, it's a bigger thing than just like, you know, do the right thing. And, and yeah, I don't think that Completely. is a fair, it, it's not a fair, Um, it's not a fair, cho- that's not a choice, you know, it's not a choice. Right. That's but that's what so many people I- have to make across the country. And, and it's unfair whether it's a baseball player or somebody that works at Walgreens, like it's just, it's unfair right. no matter what.
1: Yeah. So for me, like Castiano's home run highlight, super fun to watch. I'm not going <laughs> to try and pretend whether he's been good or not this year. I'm the idea of, trying to analyze the trade guidelines seems insane to me. Sure. Um, yeah. You know what, like how GMs are going to use this season's data to like make roster moves or free agent signings in the off season seems insane. Voting for an MVP award seems utterly ridiculous. Um, so that, I mean, the only hope. MVP uh, that
2: I would vote for is Yonas Cespedes to bring it back to like our origin <laughs> story is like the first national. Out. Yeah. The first national league DH to hit a home run. And then is like later.
1: <laughs> like right. that's an MVP
2: right. to me. And like Ian Desmond, you know, um, That's a
1: great, that's a great, uh, that's a great way to put it. So uh, here's a good uh, edit point. Uh, so we can, <laughs> oh, we, we don't edit back. this podcast. No, Come I'm on. <laughs> uh, but Brenneman, Brenneman. So uh, yes. he gave these three statements and each one was successfully better, successively better than the last one, which indicated that like he had his PR team was massaging the message. <laughs> that's that. Sure. That's the, that's the cynical approach. However, that last one, which was essentially an op-ed in the Cincinnati Inquirer, I thought got, I would say, 75% of the way there. Like, he didn't seem yeah. to be letting himself off the hook. He seemed to be acknowledging a lot of things that couldn't easily be swept under the rug about his own behavior and his own beliefs. You know, he had, a, he had, it's, it's like clockwork. When one of these incidents happen, you get the call from Billy Bean, yeah, you know, I, know.
2: I mean, I, think, I got a
1: whole thing about Billy Bean that we can sure. get into later, but yeah, then, we you can know, have he, a bonus and and he, episode on that. <laughs> right. And, and he's talking. you know, he's talking to the Cincinnati chapter of flag, and he's kind of like doing all the things and he fully admits like, I don't know if I'm g- going to be fired or not after the suspension. You know, he walked back a lot of the really cringy things about apologizing to the people who signed his paycheck, <laughs> you know. So he got seventy-five to eighty percent of the way there, but still, in that statement, he said, "I didn't know what the, the true history of this word meant. I am not homophobic, but I didn't understand like the vile evil of of this word." And I, and I think I said this like, either you're lying, or yep. you really are so consumed in your own bubble that you don't know uh that there could be any other way to think about that word and i'm actually not convinced which one is worse Uh, ultimately it's probably both i think it's both yeah yeah um but it's 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 the thing and and that also leads into the other point where even in that statement even after he gave comments to see trent rosecrans who's the athletics reds beat reporter he didn't say why he said it in the first place. Sure, That still is a component of all of this that hasn't been addressed. And actually, if we also want to kind of bring it back to the ways in which systems of identity oppression all intersect in American life, it reminded me a lot of how, when it comes to issues of racial injustice in America, so many people can say that they support various issues, um, but they're not ready to do the real hard work of looking inside themselves and ask, why do I think certain things? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel certain ways about X, Y, or Z? And until you do that, it's inevitable for you to post a black square in your Instagram account, and then at the same time not want your kids going to an integrated public school, you know, sure. when you can't, when you can't ask yourself, why did I say that word? If you can't answer that question for yourself while also saying you're not homophobic and you didn't mm-hmm. understand the, what the meaning of the word is, mm-hmm. that indicates to me that you haven't, you, you are not yet on a path
0: mm-hmm. to
1: being able to um, be a real ally. Um, and, more evidence for that. You were joking that he's just Tom in your brain. That's actually a natural impulse to have because his father, Marty Brenneman was the Reds broadcaster for decades. And, you know, I'm sure you know this story, but like nine or 10 years ago, Marty Brenneman was at a function at Marshall university and said, the Marshall university president was quote queer for softball Uh because they had built a $2.5 million softball facility, but hadn't built a baseball facility. Mm -hmm. So that's Tom Brenneman's father.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's an argument to be made that he comes by it honestly, which is not an excuse. It's simply that it does to me, like he is not responsible for his dad. However, his dad might be responsible for some of the ways this guy thinks. And it also proves to me that nepotism is not great, (laughs) especially in uh, sports, you know? Um, And in terms of like, let's just say broadcasting because you don't get a change. You just are like passing the torch onto the same kinds of thinking. And I think that you brought up a lot of great points. And I think that what that newest apology says to me, and I think you're right there, there is, and I I am just really trying to look at not the positive in a Pollyannish way where I don't look at anything negative and everything. It's like, But if I'm unwilling to ever accept anything, then I'll never accept anything. You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's a practice of saying like, okay, well, I literally said, Hey, let's, let's change from, uh, sorry to anyone who I offended to sorry to those I offended, which he literally did in that apology. And I'm like, well, there's a change, you know, like, that's a positive thing of like, like, let's just get that out of there. And it's like, I, I appreciate seeing people say that because I'm like, where do I do that? Where do I flippantly say like, oh, sorry to whoever I have. It's like, no, if I really yeah. want to step into my responsibility, I got to see where I did it. And I think his blind, his, I'll not say blind spot, cause that's not, that's an old outdated term, but I'll say where he is in denial is he, I don't think he yet understands what the word homophobic means <laughs> right? <laughs> because yeah. he is saying he's not something that his actions clearly are. And like, be, yeah being able to admit that we are a party to racism as a white person, there are actions that I take. There are things that I participate in that are white supremacists and racist that I being willing to see that and say, and I have not yet been confronted by it if it's continuing to happen, because I don't know what it is, but I do the work to confront the things that I'm capable of seeing. um, You can't, you have to be willing to not be afraid to say like that was homophobic. I didn't realize I was being homophobic because a lot of people are being homophobic and they don't realize it. And I know that that sounds like, like I'm giving somebody a pass and I'm not because the I'm not giving you, like you have to step into that. I've been homophobic in my life (laughs) because of the culture that I was raised in. It's called internalized homophobia and I put it out into the world because I didn't, love my that part of myself yet you know and like this is his journey and he's on it he gets to do it the way he does it and I don't I mean I don't think that guy should be back in the booth but it's not my decision to make you know Um, and I have a lot of empathy for fans of that team who I mean they have a legacy of of this kind of stuff like I mean I was like you said late 80s early 90s like I just and I was too young to truly understand what was going on but like the march shot days of just like what's happening like this is and so yeah. i've just always sort of as as a person from ohio i've just been like nope i don't need to know about the reds <laughs> you know like i just right. because of march shot i just like put her out put them out of my mind you know so i really? i have a lot of empathy for someone who loves baseball and that is their team and they are you know not a straight white person who doesn't have to think about these things
1: <laughs> you know absolutely absolutely and i think that what we are really faced with, and why I'm I'm appreciative of how much Brennaman has evolved, maybe just even in those 24 hours, but we can also recognize that that isn't the end of the conversation. Is that it is one thing. There's just there's just so much to unpack. Like it's it's, it's so much, Evan. It's so much, um, and we're gonna it, talk it, about
2: it, all of it in an hour
1: (laughs) in an hour solving homophobia in under an hour it's our specialty but um so so it's great that amir garrett and matt bowman said what they said and to bring it back to history you know there are these very famous stories about how when glenn burke was sold to the a's it was because the dodgers organization wasn't comfortable with the fact that he was gay but all of his teammates didn't care. And we're actually quite pissed off at the Dodgers organization for doing so. Steve Buckley, who's a Boston columnist for The Athletic, wrote about his process of coming out as gay and the ways in which he hasn't ever experienced direct overt homophobia in his years in the game and how a lot of players, especially in the last several years, are much more open to talking about the gay people in their life, the queer people in their life, their gay friends. And that's great. I mean, that is... That is genuine progress from where we were mm-hmm, 50, sure. 60, 70, 80 years ago. Two years um, ago, even. Two years ago. And, and, and the fact that Billy Bean has the position that he has and he leads inclusion trainings for teams and he takes Daniel Murphy aside and has these conversations and takes Kevin Pillar aside and has these conversations. None of those things are bad. But isn't it interesting – that there have been about 20,000 people who have stepped onto a major league ball field and only two of them have been openly gay Mm -hmm. and neither came out in public when they were playing. Mm -hmm. It's nice that you are vocalizing your support, but that's not structural change. Structural change is when a player can go step out on that diamond, say that I am gay, Everybody in that stadium and everybody watching on television and reading uh, the news and social media knows that guy is gay. And that is accepted. And then more people join it. It's just, statist- first of all, it's just statistically yeah. impossible for two out of 20,000. It's one. statistically so
2: impossible. And I know for a fact statistically that it's the- impossible. Yeah. And I, I mean, we can have a, an honest conversation without giving anything up. You and I both know that there are gay players who are playing right yes. now who are not out. And they have Correct. their reasons. And I also don't get to like hold those players to the fire because it's like, that's a personal decision. However, Absolutely. what you are talking about is the, the um, it's like the fish in water thing. Like you don't even know that you're in water, you know? And that I think yeah. is, is specific yeah. to sports. And I won't even specify men's sports on that. Like I will say that sports is just, because what's interesting to me about like women's sports and I'm making air quotes there is that like the joke, you know, the sort of homophobic misogynist, cause this is all rooted in misogyny um, yeah. is, is that all women who play sports are gay. So you have the gay ones who are quiet about it so that they don't get called a cliche. And then you have the straight ones who spend their whole career being like, I'm not gay, you know? And it's like, it's yeah. changing now. Um, and so both men's and women's to speak in the binary briefly about it because that's how sports are set up, um, it's it is changing and the progress is really important. like I, I do continue to take a moment to to think about like the fact that players said those things so quickly is shocking and stunning to me and I cannot believe that I get to live in a time when they do because it's really important and powerful. But like you said, those structural changes, it's like, is this about, a big sweeping change, which I think those players saying those things is the beginning of that. And I am in some ways grateful for this guy saying this thing because it is a moment for that to happen. I'm not advocating saying this. It it was an accident that is leading to a lot of conversation that otherwise wouldn't be happening. And what I would love is for these conversations to be open, that it's not taking somebody aside and being like, don't say that anymore. Like the conversation is not don't say that anymore. Don't use this word. Don't say this. You're a bad person. It's like, like you were saying, why did you say that? Why? W- what? And and if the answer is like, I don't know, like everybody around me says that, then like, let's unpack that. Like, let's unpack yeah. why we say that because it took somebody looking at me and saying, why are you saying that? And me saying, well, cause I'm gay. I can use it and going, well, why do I want to use that word? Like, why yeah. do I want to say that word? And like, really unwinding the things in my own brain of, like, why I'm saying that word. I mean, I spent, you know, six and a half years running a stand-up show where at the beginning of that show, that was the punchline. And, yes, I could write it off as, like, a hack thing. But, like, why is that... Why are you using that hack? Like, because people knew it would get a reaction. Right. You know, these are words that are reaction reactionary. And, like, why, why do you use them? You know, like, why... Why are you saying these things? And, and like I said, there, I am grateful for this because I'm like, where am I, where, where am I slipping and where am I allowing myself to slip down these areas of like, this just isn't something I want somebody to hear me say, you know? Um, mm-hmm. not that I'm sitting in my house like using, <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> do I want to use expletives all the time? Like, I don't think so, you know, like, and, and, uh, I, it's kind of like watching somebody in real time, like, kind of go through that. And then the specificity of this being a homophobic slur that people don't realize it is. And there yeah. has to be the argument of like whether it is or isn't. And we just have to all sort of talk it out as people. And right. some people are really upset about it and they they get to be. And then some people are really upset because they want to keep using it. And then the people sort of inside, we get to just keep doing it, you know, and keep showing up to a sport that like you're never going to get 40,000 people on the same page, but I do think you can get 40,000 people to stay in the stadium and cheer when that, when that guy come is out and hits a home run. And that to me is progress. Cause it's not about like everybody like agreeing. It's about acceptance. Like you said, and acceptance isn't approval. Like you don't have to agree but we get to accept each other and just live on earth together. You know, like we just can be here and practice kindness towards each other. And those words are not kind, no matter, I, no matter what.
1: I, I I hope that you're right. I, I, I sometimes feel a little bit skeptical because again, we've never had an active out player mm-hmm. um, even now in 2020. And there are obvious reasons for that. And also this is a very, This is a really, really personal, particularly the Brenneman incident is very, very personal for me um, because I am a broadcaster. That's my world, specifically in baseball. And I had had an incident a couple of years ago, and Mm -hmm. I've only started talking about this publicly very, very recently, where um, it was, and we want to talk about cheering crowds, um, two years ago after the Josh Hader incident, Um, where he, he, a bunch of racist and homophobic misogynistic tweets that he had written when he was younger, came to light when he was pitching in the all-star game. Um, like a week later, they, they had their first home game at Miller park in Milwaukee. It was the first game that he was playing. And when he came out, he got a standing ovation from the fans. So that was a Saturday night. And I was on the air two days later and we were in a production meeting at MLB network. And this, the the topic came up and we were discussing whether we wanted to talk about it on the air and how we would talk about it. And one of the producers said, oh, I don't think those fans were being racist or, or homophobic. They're just standing up for their player because their player has been going through hard times. They wanted to show them him that they had his back. And I was like, really? and then um and then one of the other guys who was going to be on the show with me said yeah i mean you know like he's been getting trashed online like i don't want him to hurt himself or kill himself it's just he's been treated so terribly and i was like guys did you read what he said like, right. he, he literally said i hate gay people yeah We're like yeah but he was 17 and he's just been treated so badly i just don't want him to hurt himself i'm like okay, obviously I don't want him to hurt himself either, but like sure. that's not likely to happen first and foremost. And second of all, what you're saying to me, and this part of it I was saying in my head was like, what you're saying to me is that his feelings are more important in this situation than all of the queer people who might've been hurt by what he said. And, and, and then and ultimately what I wanted to say, I was like, you know what guys, like I'm a queer bisexual person, and this this statement tells me that I don't belong here. I don't have a I don't have a place here. I'm not allowed to be in this world. That's what that statement says to me. Um, and I didn't say that. And I and I really wish that I had. We didn't end up going to air with the segment. And I wish that I had fought for it. And and that was a moment where like I could have used a platform mm-hmm. to raise these issues because not everybody is in my position to be on live national television on, on a sports network to talk about this. And I felt like I had dropped the ball and like, I know that that's not totally on me because I, it's a very masculinist environment. Yeah. Um, And, and, and had I brought it up, nobody in that room would have called me the F word. Nobody in that room would have kicked me out of the room. No one would have tried to shout me down because they didn't like who I was. They wouldn't have done any of that. But at the same time, you look around that building and there are nobody – there's nobody at that network who's out as far as I know, and there aren't a lot of people who are women who aren't on, on-camera talent, and there's just not a lot of diversity of yep. sexual and gender identity um, opinion in the room. And it was a baseline opinion consensus by all of these cishet men that – Eh, no big deal. Right. We don't have to worry about it. And I felt really, really alone, and I didn't. And I felt really, really unsupported. And I didn't even say that I was bisexual in order to feel that. I just felt like, oh, if I do say this, I'm going to be out on an island here. Yeah. I'm going to be alone. I'm going. I'm going. I'm. I'm going to be sticking my neck out, and it might not be worth it. And that's very chilling. And that's what structural homophobia actually looks like. It's not guys saying yeah. the f word. It's when you are all of a sudden put in an environment where no one is like you, that you are aware of. No one feels comfortable if they are like you to say that fact. (laughs) And, and everybody's attitude is the same swinging dick bro shit that then tells me, Oh, I really shouldn't be out like this in public. That's going to be risky for me. And, and until and, and for Tom Brenneman to then like be specifically in my industry, in my sub slice of the baseball and sports industry, to be that guy, to be the face of that attitude, to be the very overt face of something that I experience very intrinsically and implicitly um, is, I, I, I can see why you would think and I do agree up to a point that it is good for it to finally get out into the open so we can talk about it and really stare it in the face. But I also know that until we can be all really honest with ourselves to try and affect structural change and make sure that because, as you know, diversity inclusion training, they don't really work, you know, no. because it'll it because it doesn't ask you the why it doesn't ask you to start thinking about like, OK, well, why don't I have any gay friends? Why don't I seek out the queer experience, even if I'm a cisgender heterosexual person? Why do I feel uncomfortable when someone says something or says it in a certain way or does something or does it in a certain way? And, you know, why diversity... Why is inc-
2: everyone in this diversity and inclusion training white? <laughs> you Yes, know? Like, absolutely. Why? uh There's a... The, I don't know if you're familiar with the... And, and the... cisgendered
1: as well. And they're all yes, cisgendered. Yes,
2: yes. Um, and... There's this uh, uh, clinical psychiatrist named Resma Medicum who talks about uh, diversity and in- inclusion training. And he's like, what are we... Diversity implies that you are diverse from something else. And that... So what is the source? What is... It... That diversity is like a sprinkling around from a, a center, which, you know, in in this culture that we're talking about, but also this culture at large, which is white, cisgender, heteronormative white bodies and typically male. Uh, but you know, like white women are also included in that. Like you said, yeah. the, the on-camera talent is all in heels, all in dresses, all in, you know, and, and then, you know, behind the camera, zero, you know, or one or something. Yeah. And so, you know, until we really, and, and I, I, I don't, um, what I mean to say by like that coming out in the open, I believe opens the door to the change because you can't pretend it's not happening anymore. And, and like, because I feel like his conversation, his words coming out that way, whether those people who told you it's not a big deal, um, think about it or not, those things are linked. (laughs) You know, those things are linked. The assumption of an entire, uh, stadium of people, not being racist is the problem. And my I'm not supposing that every single person that was cheering is doing so because they're thinking white power. It's just that no, they both, probably aren't both things that. Yeah. are true. It's that both things are true in that Tom didn't think he was homophobic and is suddenly confronted with the idea that he might be. And yeah. both of those things have to exist, you know, for that change to happen. It it's like a petri dish. It's like there's no change if everything's fine, you know. And if you just say like, "Well, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine," like those people did, nothing changes, you know. And and the totally. lack of in, the lack of investigation into what it is, and so that's why I try not to be totally like railing on the dude because if I go so far down that, then I'm not investigating anything either. Of like, how right. does this get so far? Like, are the you know, and and also n- not wanting to throw away the entire because. I think there are a lot of people who are actively practicing not doing these things. I, I know them, you know, like they're, I am friends with them and it, and I have to believe that it's true. Otherwise, what am I fighting for? You know, um, Absolutely. And like, and- thank you for sharing that story. You know, thank you for sharing oh, that yeah. because I, I know what it's like to feel like you had an opportunity and you missed it, but like sharing it is important. That is another opportunity, like being who you are, openly sharing within baseball culture you you are com- continually presented with opportunities and like i just i just want to share like empathy for with, with you in that moment that like it is it is it is literally hard to be the only one it 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 well, is a hard job no matter what that one is you know
1: well, and it's well, hard to do you thank you for that. And, um, we're making progress. Cause this time I didn't cry when I told the story. So that's yeah, good. man. And
2: also um, the crying would be absolutely welcome because like know, it gets, it gets the poison out, you know,
1: I feel like you give a good virtual hug.
2: Yeah. That's my sense. Evan, that's my sense. Thank you but, for sharing um, that with me and with, with my podcast, you know, like abs- I really abs- appreciate it.
1: No, absolutely. And, and thank you for letting me share it. And, and I'll say, um, I, I, I totally agree. I think you do hit on something very important that Tom Brenneman is a symptom. He's not the disease. You know, he's the most yep. virulent expression of a, of a much deeper problem. And I actually might look at it from a different angle than you in the sense that while it is good that it is out in the open, that we can actually have the conversations and, and, and know that we can't hide from the conversations anymore. It's something that I've also been thinking about with regard to. What's coming for Black Lives Matter Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and and racial justice in that, you know, we, we, you and I both know that the reason white people finally got on board is because there's, there was no denying the George Floyd murder. You Mm -hmm. know, there was no way to hide or justify or rationalize it in any way, shape or form. It took something that extreme and that unambiguous for people to finally start marching. You know, for p- and people who had never marched before. Um, but my, maybe a concern that I have, particularly with Tom Brenneman, is that it'll be, I, I, w- I wonder if it will be easy for people to be like, oh, well, you can't say that word. That word's horrible. I would never say that. It's so offensive and so homophobic. And then still go back to the more implicit behaviors that perpetuate a structural bias you know Mm -hmm. that where they can say like well i reject the overt stuff you know of course you know i i have a gay friend therefore i'm not homophobic Mm -hmm. um that's the thing that i think we need to focus on it's for the example i mean uh, billy bean is somebody i have a lot of very complex and ambivalent feelings about because he does good and important work but it's very hard for me to square the idea that you can be friends with Daniel Murphy and feel like you've gotten through to Daniel Murphy on some level, but Daniel Murphy still doesn't believe that gay marriage isn't a sin. You know, like the big structural policy level work that will help drive justice and equity and equity isn't part of those conversations. It doesn't seem to me. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: and, and that's that's the hard work. That's the work that actually going back to the idea of like asking yourself, why would I say that? Why would I feel that? That's the work that makes you feel uncomfortable. And it makes oh, yeah. you feel like this is going to be really, really hard. It's not going to be something that you can just off your cap to throw up a hashtag and be done with it. Like, that's the thing that makes you realize that I am going to have to sacrifice some level of my authority and power to somebody else or to another group in order for us to be able to make this work. And most people don't want to do that. Um, We're further along on that train now than we were even six months ago. I cannot deny that. I would never deny that. Um, But it is something that I really want to keep my eye on as we go forward. You know, like, again, when will we get that active out ball player? When will, you know, uh, uh, C. Trent Rosecrans's, uh story with that had the Brennan quotes right after it happened also talked to uh, a trans woman in Cincinnati who's a Reds fan oh, yes. who, said, mm-hmm. who said, you know, they have a pride night, but I didn't know about it. Yeah, and, right. In other In other words, the Reds don't promote it. And, and I, I know for a fact that there are other teams who have that same attitude. They basically throw it up on the promo calendar and that's it. Other teams do promote it, but a lot of teams don't. And... I think for a lot of people, it's enough for them to say, well, you get Pride Night in June. You know, we wave the flag on June 28th or whatever that Sunday is that year. And, <laughs> and, we, and you put and you put Billy Bean on MLB Network twice a year and you make sure he yep. has. And he know, puts the, out
2: all the fires.
1: <laughs> and yeah, you haven't put I have that stern like father to son talk with uh, with Kevin Pillar and Daniel Murphy. And then done. It's all over. Yep. We fixed it. We solved it. That's not the work. That's no. the, that's the first step of the work. So maybe Brenneman will do the work. I hope he does. Um, and I hope that it will serve as an example for other people within the game to do work, but I've been burned before. You've been burned Absolutely. before. We've all been burned before. So, you know, the burden of proof is on them and the evidentiary standard is very, very high in my view, and it should sure. be. Um, so uh, I. I, I, I tend to, and my family will uh, describe me thusly uh, with a lot of exasperation in their voice, I, I tend to be a little bit on the realist end of the spectrum of progress rather than optimistic or hopeful. So sure. we'll we'll see. I'll keep my fingers crossed, but I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I'm I – I think I'm, I'm not holding my breath.
2: I mean, well, Evan, you should never
1: hold your breath because
2: you're meant to breathe.
1: <laughs> you unless <know>? you're within <laughs> unless you're within six feet of somebody and you don't of have a the mask. Of course.
2: Then yeah. Then hold your breath until you die of not breathing. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: just passed out. I somebody mean, wake I think it's
2: right. I, I think it's true. And I, I, you know, I think I mean the reality for me is that there's not one answer. That's the thing. Right. There's there's a bil- there's billions of people on this planet. And, and I don't get to tell anybody how to feel about any of it, you know? Um, I think the Pride Nights are are a very real thing, that it's like, it took me a while to, like, open my eyes to rainbow capitalism. I thought, like, any amount of visibility is worth it. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, actually, you got to slow down and be like, like, have critical thinking. But then for me, it's I just have to balance my criticism, my cynicism with if if I don't have any hope, then then really, what is it? Then I'm just I'm just angry about everything. And I sound like a Cleveland sports fan, you know, so it's like (laughs) we never win. I know. know. But we did win one. So like (laughs) here is that is the it's like it's possible, you know, like no one. Every it, like from my experiences in my my actual life, it's like LeBron James does all these things that I'm just like I'm I'm with it like, wow, this guy inspires me, all this stuff. And then he like gets on Twitter about China and I'm like, well, shit, you know, like there's always a point because we're human. You know, we're human. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I think Major League Baseball would would be would do a great service in expanding and diversifying and including their diversity and inclusion czar like not having it not just rest or fall or be bequeathed with this one person and having it just be this one-on-one because it, it it really does like like the pr move is 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 hard to push away from the tom brenneman stuff it's like I do totally. truly want to take this guy at his word, like I really do, because like each time is an opportunity. And like he said, it, it felt weird that night when he was like, "I'm a man of faith." So blah blah blah. It's like I see some of that <laughs> in the language that he's using in the apology, and it's like, "Hey, man, great." You know, like if you're saying you want to do this stuff, like him going and talking to P Flag is actually the thing that I think is the most important and in, and in, and in, and uh, like potentially changing is that he's not going to talk to gay people he's not intruding on their lives necessarily
1: yeah, he's going right. and talking
2: to parents right who are people who had to like face these face this music themselves and probably deal with a lot of homophobia this way you know and so like that's actually a great place for him to go and I see that as one little nugget of something that I can take out of this and go huh that's important you know like yeah. Like he says, I want to lock arm in arm with give. And it's like, I'm not ready for that yet, man. Like I'm not, I'm not ready. Yeah. I'm not ready to give you a hug. I don't, you we don't need to do that. You know, pandemic aside, like, I'm glad that you think, okay. All right. But like, have those conversations, have those ca- conversations with these people that are being gracious enough to welcome you in and say, Hey, we were there once too, and this is where we're at now, you know? And I think that's important. And I think that's something that we can take out of that context and go, oh, this is how this stuff changes, is we, like, talk to each other, you know? And and I think that sort of speaks to the Billy Bean thing. It's like, you actually do have to have more than one person. There's no authority on any of this, you know? Right. There's, no, there's no one person that knows, that, like, people want to ask me, like, well, what do you think about this? And I'm like, I don't think this is my place to talk about it, you know? Like, it's not yeah. always... You know, it usually, the work rests on the queer people to, like, explain it away, or, you know? And it's like, no, I think it just just rests on all of us, you know, to sort of say, like, yeah, we don't, this isn't cool anymore. And on top of that, it's, like, hurtful. And, like, you say you didn't realize that, so now you know, so spend some time. That's the thing, too, is, like, unfortunately, it requires time. Mm -hmm. This requires time. And people want, we want an answer. And right now, the answer is, like, Thankfully that guy's just not on air right now. Whether that's forever right. or not, we don't we don't know, but like today he's not I don't have to listen to that guy. He gets to do yeah. his own thing and I get to do mine, you know.
1: And 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 I and, and this is why uh I I would never call myself a pessimist because sure. pessimism pessimism is is a very short step away from nihilism and that doesn't help yeah. anybody. Um but I think that because like capitalism really wields hope and optimism like a cudgel in order to silence voices you know absolutely and when you talk about rainbow capitalism that is an excellent example of it and and the way that billy bean is the only guy there to clean up these messes is a signal to me that major league baseball just doesn't want to fuck with their bottom line of course more so than making sure that LGBTQ plus people feel welcome and included and those players can feel comfortable coming out. That doesn't seem to actually be their agenda. So my, uh, my feeling is all, and that's why I said the burden of proof is very high and the or the burden of proof is on them and the evidentiary standard is very high because you have to come to me, not you, but like Tom Brenneman has sure. to come to me and show me that he's actually done the work. I don't, you and I and everyone else, just because it affects us doesn't mean it's our job to educate them. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not, we shouldn't be burdened with the uh, emotional labor of fixing these problems, as you say. So, so, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to carry with me a health, a healthy level of realistic skepticism, because again, we know who his father is and how his father thinks. So we know he was raised in that environment. And to go back to, because we keep bringing up intersectional elements of, of oppression, like somebody was showing me, I, I don't really watch Tom Brenneman very often because he's just a very old school, like, um, uh, uh, rehearsed baritone
2: <laughs> sure, yeah.
1: male I mean that we, announcer. <laughs> it's just not, it's just, it, he's just boor- he's, he's boring. He's he's boring to
2: listen to <laughs> yeah.
1: And Yeah. And when he's not boring, he's annoying because he's a very crotchety old man and thinks about baseball in a very specific way in ways that I don't right. think about. And also he's very right wing in ways that go beyond his homophobia. Like I saw a clip from 4th of July last year that was circulating over during this week where um, they were honoring a, I believe it was a World War II veteran at um, Great American Ballpark. And he was wearing some kind of a shirt with an American flag on it. And the whole, it's a completely anodyne getting out of a commercial break segment. It's just like, oh yes, there's this veteran on 4th of July, yada, yada. That's all you got to say. But Brennan, because this was right after um, Colin Kaepernick had, basically convinced Nike to not print the American flag on the back of their 4th of July. Oh, speaker. yeah, okay. And conservatives got all freaked out about it. And Brenneman is like, so here's this guy, you know, this World War II veteran, we're honoring America today. And uh, you can see the flag on his shirt. You wonder, maybe there's a, what a shirt and shoe company would think about that, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's it's obvious where he sits on the political ideological spectrum. Sure, when you make a yeah. Point like that apropos of nothing. So that also tells me, That he's starting from a pretty low place on the hill, and he's got a long way to go. And again, I hope he gets there. I really do. Um, But I got—I'll—I'll believe it when I see it, frankly. And and um, I had some other profound thing that I wanted to say, and it's completely gone. It'll
2: probably come back.
1: P P, P flag, P flag. Um, you make an excellent point about P flag, and that's why I said Brennan's statement I felt got 75 to 80 percent of the way there because he was saying. Barring two glaring issues, he was saying pretty much all of the right things, and he was prepared to talk to the right people. And I can't remember, there was an NFL player a few years ago who said that he would never play with a gay teammate and then like met with members of PFLAG. And he kind of flipped his entire script after working with them and is now very active in a lot of LGBTQ plus organizations. So there is proof of concept there sure you know there is there is a path forward and i think p flag as you say is a great example of an organization that can work with somebody like him who very obviously doesn't have queer people in his life um to think outside the bubble of having to be confronted directly with queer people's experiences who might not want anything to do with him so yeah i mean we'll see and 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 this actually i wanted to ask you a question yes you mentioned you, did, you felt me. like you felt like he shouldn't be in the booth. I've been really torn. I don't know. He's been, he's been suspended for two weeks and a lot of people obviously want him fired. Um, Sid Ziegler, who runs outsports.com, ran an op-ed uh, yesterday mm. arguing that he should not be fired and instead should just be suspended for an ex- a lengthy period of time, not two weeks, but a lengthy period of time. Um, and as someone who, advocates for restorative justice rather than retributive justice. I'm sympathetic to that argument because especially in other areas of our world, we know that punishment could just lead to him getting a right-wing radio talk show and not being an ally. That could happen. It might not, but it could. And, and taking his job away might fuel that. But on the other hand, your entire job is to speak to the public and so if you are saying things like that even if this is the only time that you ever got caught you still said it not just to yourself but to other people who are on uh, the headsets in the in the in the production truck and in the booth with you so you thought it would be a okay thing to say to other people if just not the general public Uh, there's part of me that it's also like okay well you that that's a firing offense so I don't know where I've, I don't know where I follow. Yeah, where do you I mean,
2: that? well, I you know, I can't I'm looking forward to reading that um, out sports article just to see that. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't need and to will, read I'll, it. I'll,
1: I'll just I'll Go just ahead. say that Outsports also has the, uh, the counterpoint. They also had they commissioned somebody to write a piece saying he mm-hmm. absolutely should be fired. So it's interesting to kind of read them next yeah. to each other. But anyway, do,
2: are both people queer? Do both people identify as like queer yes. people that wrote it? Okay. Just curious. Yes. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. curious. Cause I've also noticed that like um a lot of allies going super hard. And for whatever super reason, hard! it's bothering me a lot. Like it's it's I truly was bothering a me. Way. <laughs> Where I'm like, could you guys calm down? Cause there's really like like you right. maybe need to look into your like I feel like you probably did this same stuff, and this is why you're acting really like we all need to like calm down just a little bit. And also, again, yeah. everybody gets to have their feelings and like also I'm not a cop, so I don't get to tell you what to do. But I'm just like, wow, okay, yes, this machine is really turning. So like I'm just gonna get out of this machine for a little bit. Um <laughs> because I, I you know, it is like the there there the line between accountability and this like fake cancel culture thing that's like real and also not real and like is a figment and also that it's like I, I can't parse all of it but like it, it 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 just is like it's it's an entity in and of itself but um I agree with you I also because it starts to get into like am I a cop <laughs> am I a yeah. cop do I get to fire this guy and I don't you know like I don't write his checks you know um and right. and I think there is something to be said like and, and like, my answer is not, well, I don't want him to go right wing nut job. And I don't, it's like, I I also didn't get, don't get to control that either. Like I'm unsure of what the answer is. Totally. Um, and I, th- I think that today, the fact that he's suspended to take some time with this and do the things he's saying to do to me, that is the restorative justice answer. And like, I don't, I don't know, like, it's also true, yes. Your job as a broadcaster is is to, not, is to not say offensive things. And like if he said the other F word, would he be fired? Maybe. I don't no. know what this no? Okay. No. So he they yeah. he, they might
1: get they might get wrapped on the knuckles in like a little like FCC a fine, fine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but they yeah. would never fire him for saying fuck. No, not at all.
2: Okay. Th- I mean, that's interesting. You know, that's yeah. interesting. Um and so I don't know. I don't know that I have like an answer because the answer is yeah. like always evolving. And like, uh, for me, it's less about like proof and it's more about like what can happen from this, you know? Right. And like, is that guy like? I wonder if if he does these things. If he goes like, you know, it might my time might be up. If like he decides that it's like not good for him to go back in the, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I just like, I used to be a person who was very reactive and like fire that guy. And it's like, I know that if I start getting into that behavior, it's going to come back to me because I'm not, I'm not in like this guy. And that's just to say that like, I got to slow down a little bit and like, look at the whole thing and think like, what is the restorative justice of this? Because it is such a large event. It's not, he didn't call one specific person that. You know, so he can't sit down with, you know, Billy Bean. He didn't call Billy Bean that, you know, it's like you said a thing that it is hurtful to a population of humanity, you know, and that's like a pretty big undertaking to understand the effect of that. So I don't know if firing somebody is the equal to that either, because I think the restoration of that is all the things that we're talking about. And I don't think one man or one action can do it, you know. But I do think that the the entity of PFLAG existing is an important thing. And um, all the pieces, the conversation that we're having right now is all part of it, you know. Um, so I don't know if there's like a cut and dry answer. Like, I don't, I, I'm not yeah. like... I mean I said that night on Twitter I like retweeted his like weird sort of reactionary like in the moment thing and I was like I'm enjoying this. Like I literally was just enjoying it. Not out of like watch I was just like wow, what a moment. What a moment to watch somebody realize what they did. I mean pretty television. stunning. Pretty stunning, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I will say um I just the fact that he didn't immediately given that he's so right-wing given that he's conservative given that that was his reaction to colin kaepernick he didn't make a heel turn he hasn't gone like well fuck all of you like fuck your feelings or whatever gives me some shred that there is possibility there and again i'm not this is not me endorsing any of it it's just going like huh okay well if somebody that does follow those those beliefs you know um in 24 hours has not said, I, I don't care, Um, is kind of wild and leads me to believe that if somebody that's that old can do it, anybody can, <laughs> you know? So if, yeah. if somebody, it, then it is definitely possible, you know? And, and the apology isn't there 100%. I don't know if we can ever get 100% apology that's like perfect, but it's something, you know, and it is um I don't think we're I, I don't feel like I'm taking scraps either. I'm just trying to look at the whole picture and see where it, that it's actually moving towards, you know. Um just like white people are not doing a good enough job. I am not doing a good enough job as a white person. So today I get to try to do a better job. And I can't do it any faster than it happens, you know. Um and so therefore I, I try to kindly the white people in my life who are here, you know, a little bit behind or whatever. Um, I try to practice the same kindness to them that other white people that are further down the pike practice with me so that we can all like pull each other along, you know? Um, and so my kindness to him is to just not freak out, (laughs) you know, like I don't, it's to just not maybe say, I don't know, you know,
1: can you give me the number of your therapist? Cause you're doing a great (laughs) You're doing so well. (laughs) Yeah, I'll Um, give it to
2: you off air. (laughs) Uh, And look, man, I'm unemployed and my health insurance is going out pretty soon. So I I don't know. Oh, God. (laughs) It's all going to work out. I've got enough time. (laughs)
1: Um, No, you make a great point. And and if he hadn't made that third statement of the Cincinnati Inquirer in the way that he did, um, barring those two very glaring issues in it, I would Be much more comfortably in the fire hashtag fire Tom camp than I am right now, and the reason there is no clear answer is because there I think there are very good reasons both for and against on each side. Um, You know, to 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 fire him um, would be justified because what he did was so extreme, and that it might give an opportunity to hire a queer person in that job, theoretically. Um, To and, and I mean also, I'm unemployed,
2: and I think so are you, Evan. So it seems like and
1: the <laughs> mellifluousness of our voices too. Can you even imagine? Get to I watch Reds actually. baseball for the rest of the year. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, it's a and, great ballpark. And, and, and it is a great ballpark. Um, it's a great American ballpark. So <laughs> I set um, you up
2: perfectly. See, uh, we no. tire. Comedy, us. <laughs> baby. Comedy. <laughs>
1: um so so there's that um but then on the other side of it to not fire him would be to signal that like if he has been doing the real work then he does deserve a second shot also on the other hand um what does that mean because to just say that you are contrite and you learned your lesson Mm -hmm. sends the signal that like all you got to do is give some mealy mouth. Non-apology, apology, and you can get your job back, and mm-hmm. that's not restorative justice. That's just sure. giving an old white man a second shot. But also, on the other <laughs> hand, um, it could further make him believe that there was an injustice carried out against him, and that's not legitimate either. So, so that's why yeah. that's why it isn't clear cut. There are good and bad reasons to fire him or to not fire him. Um, but I am available as Rhea is, is here, <laughs> as and we're I both
2: can. very available.
1: <laughs> I've got great masks and I can be on a plane to Cincinnati tomorrow.
2: Absolutely. I can get in my twenty year old car and drive back to Cincinnati as soon as this <laughs> podcast is over. Um yeah, yeah I, I think it's not it's just not clear cut, you know, which is yeah. the unfortunate thing. Like we want here here's here's what is striking me. We want something as clearly cut as the languages he used. And that, that, yes, that that's that is a great that way of saying it.
0: That's, That's a great the way of thing saying it.
2: is that you don't, you, you don't, you, I, there's nothing in my toolbox that meets that there's, yeah. there's nothing except for that, you know? And th- that is the thing. Like, and I just, this, so I, my friend, uh, Sophia Alexandra, a, a brilliant comedian writer, um, she and I went to dinner once and we were just like talking about movies. And, uh, I said something about inglorious bastards. Uh, the movie, and I, it was like, and this was a while ago, so I have a lot of thoughts on Quentin Tarantino. But we've been talking for a <laughs> while, so I'll keep it brief. Um, but at that point, that was I was like, oh yeah, I I loved that movie; it was really great. And she was like, you know, I really didn't. And I was like, oh, interesting. And now she's a Jewish person, a Jewish American mm-hmm. person, and uh, I was like, oh, interesting. Like, what what didn't you like about it? She was like, well, I just I think it's uh I can't remember all the word the exact wording she used because it was about 8 years ago. But she was like I just think it's it's um it's it's odd to me and not necessarily honest and, and truthful that Quentin Tarantino thinks that that is what Jewish people would want is exacting right. revenge. And I think about that a lot. <laughs> you know, that like the the response the response to that, and now I'm not equating any of this, but it is it, it the ex- revenge just creates more harm, you know, right. it just creates more pain. And like you said, punishment is not always the answer. And if I believe that in criminal justice, then I've got to believe that here. I can't pick and choose when I think it applies and when it doesn't, you know. Yeah. And so while I might not, not know what that looks like, that's the path that I think is the more important one, which is like at this point right now today, given what he said, given what he's trying to do seemingly, um, and having two weeks out of, out of that position, I'm willing to see what happens. But for me to say like, fire that guy and take it away is like, I'm just going, I'm doing what he did. I'm doing what he did. And I don't, as a queer person, do not want to be pulled into that same behavior. And I, it's not to be better than anybody else or, anything other than like, I know who I am. I know what that means. And I don't participate in that behavior anymore. And like, how can we, as people keep moving forward and like acknowledge that we exist and, and like talk about the positive, like Sean Doolittle, Aaron Doolin, Amir Garrett saying that, uh, the fact that the Reds have trans fans, like hello, <laughs> like now you get an opportunity as an organization to really put your money where your mouth is and go, oh my god, we didn't realize because, like, isn't just one Reds fan important to me? It is, you know. Yeah, so, and I I don't really know what else to add other than just like we're at a place where we just have to wait and see, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I just uh, I think ultimately. I, I worry that two weeks isn't enough because this is really big work that he's going to have to do on himself. Yep. And, and how much can you accomplish in two weeks? We'll see. Um, yep. And I just don't want to get burned. Um, I don't want us to feel like we were Pollyanna-ish in not advocating his firing. Um, in, a, in a way that, again, that third statement was kind of savvy because it takes a lot of the wind out of our sails to, to call for sure. his firing. And, 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 and that statement could very well be utterly 100% sincere. We don't know. Um, uh, and, and you're absolutely right to say that, like, as, as we've been saying all along, like, he is a symptom. He's not the disease. Firing him isn't going to solve all the problems. Like, that's not going to fix homophobia. You and I are going to fix homophobia, but, like, we already that did. is not going to... We already did, totally. Um, <laughs> 20 minutes but, but in. That, so So firing him isn't going to solve that much bigger issue. I just... You know he's a he is. I mean, you've seen a photo of him. You've heard his voice. You could sure. not create a more <sighs> stereotypical baseball broadcaster if you fought one up in a lab than Tom Brennan. It's Tom Brennan. The, Brennan right there. The jaw, the jawline, <clears throat> the voice, the the suits, the whole fucking bit. You know, like if you want to make a photo of bad white man. <laughs> and put it in the dictionary it would look like that you know
2: yeah but who better than
1: to do the work i don't know so let's 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 hope he does the work there's a lot going against him getting there but i guess here's
2: evan here's here's what i'm saying is that i am choosing to not be somebody that's going against it like he has an opportunity so i'm just not going to stand in the way you know right that's it right Cause like right. it doesn't, it do, like having for me having the receipts of saying fire this guy, and then he it's like I know who I am and I know my behavior and I know what I feel is right and right. So for me, advocating and hoping that he's he, because um, he's already learned something. You know, I don't. Yeah. We can never be inside somebody else's head. You know, and it's all it's it's like it's trust. You know, it's building trust with people and he has broken trust with people. He didn't realize were in his life because clearly he does not have close relationships with gay people. And if he did, he doesn't know that they're gay because they're closeted because it's a conservative thing or he just doesn't care to know, or they don't, you know, all that stuff, which I don't even care to parse out. But like just realizing that like there are people who are listening to you who do not look like you you know, which is why I try really hard to not super rail on like straight white guys all the time, because there are a lot of straight white guys who listen to this podcast because, uh, they don't think that way, you know, like, because they, they are interested in this other path because they are, and I'm, I'm not saying I like cater my podcast to that. I cater my podcast to people who don't, who don't think that what mainstream baseball is, is enough, you know? And so like, there's space for everybody. That's also the thing that capitalism wants you to think isn't true. There isn't space for everybody at best. You get one night, you know, and I just don't think that's true. And what I would love to come out of this is for baseball to realize, uh, that it has fans. (laughs) It has people that love it, despite all this shit that they do. And we have been willing to take a lot to keep coming back to this game. And like, They don't owe us anything. They really don't. But it would be pretty wonderful if they took a moment to say like, oh, we've got a lot more fans than we realized. So what can we do for them? And I don't know what the answer is to that. Because again, I can't make every person in a stadium not be homophobic. But I will say that going, I I had the pleasure of throwing out the first pitch at the 2017 uh, LGBT night at at Oakland Stadium for the athletics. And that was perhaps the first time in my life that I went into a women's public restroom and nobody looked at me weird. And I was surrounded with a bunch of other people who had the same experience at the same time. Like a bunch of us were all looking down in the sink because like the women's public restroom for gender nonconforming people who need to use it is a really scary place. (laughs) You know, it's a scary place. Um, on on a ranging scale, and so you have habits when you go in there, right, to, for, for safety. And it was a it was a tremendous moment to be at that night for all the railing that I do about LGBT nights. But that is like the nugget that I take out of it is that I looked up, and everybody that was in there was also just sort of looking up at the same moment, going like, "Huh, oh, that's what this is like." And so it's just it's just cultivating that feeling, and I, there's no. Checklist to it. It's really just going like, what are we going to move towards? Are we moving towards this restorative justice, or are we moving towards like, doesn't matter? I don't think that. And it feels to me that we're moving more towards the re- restorative justice today than we are moving towards it doesn't matter because it seems like it matters. It seems like it ma- for as angry as I am about allies taking it way too seriously, it clearly matters to more people than it did a couple years ago. So that's important, you know, and nobody even really talks about Daniel Mur- Murphy anymore because he's not that good. <laughs> and that's restorative justice to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> he had that one I, great year of hitting, and then he just really hasn't had it.
1: <laughs> I I I I I really appreciate you um pushing back on how much of a grumpy gus I can be about things.
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's I it's
1: important to hear.
2: I think both are important because I I hope you don't, yeah. I, I I think both are important because I don't, I don't want to be so, I don't want to come off as cavalier or nonchalant about any of it, but it's a journey, yeah. you know, like I, right. there are, you could go back and find the podcast where I'm screaming and yelling and crying. So it's not as though I haven't, it's just like, you know, this is where I'm at today and this is where you're at today and we're meeting and that's important. You know, that's, that's where well, it, it changes.
1: And again, I think what makes this particular situation so interesting, as you and I have both said, is that it doesn't feel the same as some of these incidents have felt in the past. It's much more complicated and much more challenging. And it's as you said it so beautifully earlier, but that it's it's so much it, it very quickly became so much more complicated and so much more challenging within hours of him saying it. Oh yeah. You know, and, yeah. and so that's I think what is the battle that I'm having and maybe some other people are having is that it like it seems so cut and dry and it very quickly did not seem so cut and dry. I think some yeah. people still think that, but again, they're mostly straight people, which is interesting. Like <laughs> it is they're really
2: interesting.
1: They're really trying to show just how much they're on our side.
2: Right. Um, and you're not listening to us. <laughs> Right, (laughs) you know, yeah, and it's it's also interesting to me the like because I just think like there's there's a conversation to be had about like how much this goes on like you're kidding yourself and also you and I you as a straight person and I as a queer person are living in very different worlds if you don't think people use that word a lot because they do (laughs) so let's especially
1: especially in baseball clubhouses
2: especially in baseball clubhouses. And again, not every person that uses it means a gay person. And that was in air quotes because it's like, that's the conversation that we're now having. And like when you brought up the American thing, somebody in your tweets was like, only British people are using it, not in this context. And I like called them on it because like, Shut up. (laughs) It's very frustrating to me that that comes in because they're still using that word. And in like most of the rest of the country and also in that country, it also means that. So maybe it's time to stop referring to cigarettes with that word in 2020. Like maybe it's time to not. And also, like, what is the point of bringing that up in this conversation? Like, hey, these are the only people... (laughs)
1: <laughs> i felt that dave's a good guy and he just uh i don't think he was thinking very clearly um sure. and, but, it, but you, but you may, I apologize but you
2: may... for, for calling your friend um i no, I it's laughed
1: fine. <laughs> it's fine but like but if it, but it's like but that's a really interesting way if we want to talk kind of about the theory of language and how meaning travels sure. and how it evolves like we don't live in a time where the united kingdom is isolated from no. our vernacular i mean they never really did from like 1964 onward, but thanks to the internet, it's just unavoidable sure. now. So you're right. Maybe that is something that like the Brits have to really sit down and think about because <laughs> yeah. I listen to some British soccer podcasts and a couple of those guys smoke and they're dropping that word all the time. And it's a, and it's that quick fire uh, thing in my head where I'm like, hey, wait, oh, huh? Yeah. Uh, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um I don't know. But um yeah, we did it. We did it. We really Raya. did do
2: it. Yeah. I I feel like there was something else. Oh, I think, you know, just to sort of sort of not wrap it up, because I, I don't want to wrap it up, but like it it's um we also want as people to compartmentalize everything and that like mm-hmm. homophobia is right here and racism is right here and misogyny right. is right here. And I think sometimes it makes it easy to like dismiss what's going on, but like uh, if, and I just, I think it's really important uh, for like the black lives matter movement. Their website has like their 13, like there are like guidelines, uh, 13 mm-hmm. or 14 guidelines, like what they believe basically on their website. And it is like one of the most like powerful and inclusive and important documents that I've read in a really long time. And the, Major League Baseball made a very big show of support of Black Lives Matter for a day um, in similar to their LGBT nights. Um, And that is not to diminish each individual player's experience of that day. However, um, if they truly believe Black Lives Matter as an organization, then that means they believe that Black queer lives matter and Black trans lives matter. And that word and this conversation that we're having fits into that. So they're not separate. All of these things feed into the same thing. And uh, for me, those guidelines are the way I try to practice my life. You know, like moving from those guidelines like has been very helpful for that. And so I encourage if Major League Baseball is listening for them to check that out and realize that like this is all part of it. And that again, to go back to the Billy Bean thing, it is about community and it is about more than just one. I mean, most teams have more than one pitcher and more than one catcher and more than one shortstop, even though they have a star, you have different people playing different positions and lineups change. Like you have to actually keep the thing moving or else nothing really changes, you know? And just like with baseball, it's all about practice. Like you, you do not get any better if you do not practice. And like, It's when you practice, you just are open to a new experience every time. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do with this is like, I am open to a new experience with this guy and with this happening in this sport. And because also the Tatis incident and the fact that like those guys, uh, Chris Woodward, especially going, Oh, it might need to change and I might need to change. That's a new experience. In in within two days of each other, that's a new experience in this game. And so I'm open to a new experience of all this. So I I guess that's where I'm at <laughs> with all of it.
1: And we because of what happened in June in this country and the end of May, and also the fact that we are living through the we're living through a situation where there shouldn't even be baseball in the first place.
2: Yeah. With the global um, pandemic. And I would argue with the the upright, the cultural uprising, the 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 rev- revolution, um, absolutely the, the the civil rights, uh, racial justice uprising, both of those things, to me, are a great reason for baseball to not be happening. You so can I mean, either you met- or you could use both.
1: <laughs> you know, you, you, you met you mentioned Ian Desmond at the top of the show and, and mm-hmm. his statement when he opted out cited that very fact for those two things to be happening in a place where that should be as a result of those two things, an industry should not exist, and yet it is existing. Perhaps that means people are going to be, and I'm just speculating here, um, perhaps they will be more sensitive and open to those kinds of changes and experiences because nobody really has their footing. Nobody is mm-hmm. really moored yeah. to any kind of normality, no matter how much the league and the teams might want to pretend there is normality there isn't. Everybody knows that's true. Everybody knows that we're, we're being gaslit into thinking it isn't true. So maybe that is a chance for people yep. to step back and be like, yeah, why did I say the F word on air? Like, yeah. Why don't I have gay friends? Why, why is that a I thing not?
2: that I say regularly?
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Maybe that is maybe, maybe such an extreme situation gives people a chance to hit the pause button and reflect.
2: Yeah. I it, mean, I, I think that is the silver lining of all of it, you know, and like change yeah. it, it just really doesn't happen when everything's going great, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Cause the thing is like, if, if you think everything's going great, there's somebody out there that it's not going great for, you know? So right. the, the leveling of the playing field somewhat uh, is definitely um, accelerating the rate of change and understanding and like, Ultimately, I can't make anybody do it but me. And so just in this, as much as I can be, you know, just like yeah. I get to show up for it as much as I can to the best of my ability. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm hopeful that we get the job.
1: <laughs> queer, <laughs> you know? queer power, Rhea Butcher.
2: Queer, queer power. I mean, that would be fun. It would be a lot of fun. I
1: We would be so good at it. It's not even funny. <laughs> I would tee I you know. up so well.
2: It would be just great. Delivering
1: punchlines for 9 innings a game.
2: Yeah, man. It would be great. And sometimes 7 innings because of a pandemic, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> which are which are which are actually 14 in, 14 innings cuz it's a double header.
2: Right. Yeah. And runners on second and third every half inning. Um that's not a real rule. I just made that one up. Mm, I I'm mean, not, but, I can't even keep it people, is. But maybe it is. We We got to get the product on the field.
1: (laughs) There is nothing real about the 2020 major league baseball. season. Don't you dare
2: swing on a 3-0 count. God damn it. You know? (laughs) Um, Well, Evan, thank you so much for finally being on the show. I'm so glad that it worked out and thanks for talking to me and being so, uh, you know, so giving of your time. I super appreciate it. And where can people find you coming up or today or whenever, whatever.
1: Um, Well, you can find me at Evan Davis sports on the Twitter the twitter.com um i haven't you know because i i'm not on tv these days so unfortunately you can't see me there but hopefully that'll change um cincinnati reds call me but um (laughs) i'll and i just want to say it's 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 such an honor i've I've been such a fan of you for so long even before we ever started talking and and um your voice is a really important one and it's a valuable one and it's a needed one and um just you know keep doing what you're doing man yeah, man, Evan,
2: I'm here for you too. I I can't I cannot tell you what a breath of fresh air that was to see you on MLB Network all those years ago. And like, honestly, it was three you years ago, me. but it
1: feels like a century ago. <laughs> it
2: feels like forever. And like, you know, you, it, you that is a part of a reason why I did this podcast in some shape or form. And so you are as much a part of this Aww. podcast as I am, and Get as Brett here. is, and as everybody that listens to it. So I'm so glad that you're on here and that you were willing to have this conversation. I'm really grateful. Um, I, we should just just
1: start our, we should just start our own sports network.
2: I mean, let's do it. Why not? Why not? (laughs) I mean, we could, Brett, are you listening? Let's do it. Um, great. Evan. Well, thank you so much. It's so great to have you. (laughs) Thank you guys. So grateful to have Evan here. So grateful to talk to him. Can't wait to have him back. Please follow him on Twitter at Evan Davis sports. Uh, follow what he does. Um, follow us. Share the show. Send me some stuff. I have a a, a PO box. My PO box is five zero three two six. That's L A, California nine zero zero five zero. If you want to be a pen pal, happy to do it. Also consider being a pen pal with um, anyone with incarcerated folks, or there's many elderly people in elder care facilities who are looking for pen pals. Give it a shot reach out to folks. Um, And yes, thank you for listening to the show. Donate to the Loveland Foundation. We will be putting up some new shirts very shortly on TrashCanyon.com, so look for those. Um, And as always, if you liked it, you liked it.
1: Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm,